You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe. Uh, and this week, we are talking about Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead from 1995. Tell me, talk about it. I'm very happy. Uh, we joined one of my favorite people, honestly, to talk to. He's one of the hosts of the Fantastic Action for Everyone podcast. Uh, it's Mike Scott. Mike, how you doing? I'm good. Matty B, how are you tonight, man? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm very excited to talk about this movie and talk to you again. Uh, it's been quite a long time since you've been on this show, um, and I'm always happy to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I'm always happy to talk to you, uh, and I'm always happy to talk about Sam Raimi movies. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like the best of all possible worlds tonight. This, and you know, when I dangled this one out to you, I was like, I'm giving, this is like giving my catnip, I feel like. I'm like, I'm going to dangle a Raimi movie at. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Eventually, I will work my way through guest, I will guest on podcasts and and complete his entire career at some point uh in my in my podcast history here i will i will get through because so i think this is technically this is number four that i've talked about um so uh yeah so i i'm, I'm getting there i'm working my way there <laughs> i can help you with that here i uh it's like uh when are we talk about oz the great and the powerful what, what is it called <laughs> Oz great and powerful. Yeah, Oz, Oz okay. great and powerful. Yep. Yep. Uh, one of the, the movies I have not seen of Sam Raimi's. Uh I think only one person told me it's worth seeing. It might have been Hayden. Sorry, Hayden, if that's wrong. But <laughs> I think it's worth I think it's worth seeing. Uh okay. I mean the Franco, the Franco-ness of it is kind of gross. Um, but I think it's worth seeing because it's still it's kind of like the worst Sam Raimi is still Sam Raimi, you know? And so it's like there's still visually interesting stuff in it. Um it's still got his, you know, I mean, if you're like everybody on Twitter who's complaining about how modern blockbusters all look the same, you know, Oz the Great and Powerful is going to look like a breath of fresh air to you because it, it, it does not look like a Marvel movie. And so that alone, I think I think it's a movie. It's still not great. It's still definitely lower tier Raimi. It's it's not his worst movie, but it's down there. But I think it would probably play better now than when it came out, uh, because we just don't have movies, you know, it's the same kind of the same way that Elvis was such a big hit this year. Right. And everybody was like, Oh my God, Boz Lerman is, you know, still out here making Boz Lerman movies while everything else looks like garbage and shot in a parking lot. You know, <laughs> I think it would play better uh, for a lot of people this now. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Uh, well now question, cause you just said it's not the worst Raimi movie. I'm curious now, what do you think the worst Raimi movie? I don't know if I heard you say what the worst Sam Raimi movie is for the podcast. So <laughs> I think it's kind of a toss up between, um, crime wave, which is oh, okay. just 
It's just a mess. Uh, but I like Crime Wave because it's still got that indie sort of vibe to it. But but as objectively, I think the movie's not very good. I think it's a misfire for both Rainey and the Coen brothers. Um, and, but for me, and I will admit, I have not watched it in a very long time. I need to rewatch it uh, for love of the game, uh, because that is the one Sam Raimi movie that I feel like doesn't really feel like Sam Raimi. Uh, but again, it's been a long time since I've seen it. So I, I need to go back and revisit that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think I've heard that one too. People are kind of like, doesn't really feel like he's into that, that whole story. And it's not really feel like his kind of movie. And I forgot crime wave was him and the Coen brothers. You think that would be a slam dunk? Like <laughs> just see. No, it was not, it was not, <laughs> not, not a slam dunk. No, no. You know, it's just the biggest problem with it is it's just, it's super cheap. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it, it, it wasn't made for much more than what evil dead was made for. And if you've seen the Hudsucker proxy, you know, when Ramey and the Coens get together, they tend to have a little bit of a quirky sense of humor to say the least. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but with crime wave, they weren't as fully developed as, as masterful filmmakers. And so it's kind of a, it's a bit all over the map. Again, I haven't seen it for a very long time. I know a lot of people really do love it. I might like it and appreciate it more now. It does have Bruce Campbell being Bruce Campbell. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, I'll take that any day. So that's good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those the two dimension are two Raimi's I have not seen yet also. So I have I'm the whole chunk between Crook and the Dead and Spider-Man. Haven't seen those three. And I hear Simple Plan is great. Simple um, Plan is, is if I'm being honest, Simple Plan might be his best movie. I mean, you know, Spider-Man 2 is my favorite movie. Oh, I yeah. think it's, it's a masterpiece. But if I'm putting on like a critic hat, Simple Plan might be his best movie. And it is so not Raimi-like in such a good way because it is, you know, one of the things I love about Raimi is he is he is at his nature quite the optimistic filmmaker. Most of his movies are all very optimistic and uplifting. A Simple Plan is one of the coldest, nastiest, meanest fucking movies that has ever been made. It is just mean uh and and so like i don't know if sam was working some stuff out i mean Raimi's always had a mean streak in him you know you look at what he puts bruce campbell through in all his movies and stuff like that but he's always ultimately come down on the side of optimism there ain't no optimism in a simple plan it's just a nasty nasty piece of fucking work um so yeah it's it's a it's great it is a it is a bona fide great movie wow okay all right that's that's a good sell for that movie you should probably finally see that um now, before we get all into Quick and the Dead and Sam Raimi, I know we did a little bit there, but, uh, you know, I like to ask people what they've seen lately. So I'm curious if you watch anything good, bad, yeah. mediocre. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I watched some weird shit. You know, it's funny. I wanted to watch some other stuff for this. I wanted to watch like some actual real movies like Wakanda Forever and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And, so, and I just didn't get her. I just haven't. I don't know, Matt. I, I, I just haven't felt like watching movies, to be honest with you. I've been watching a lot of YouTube and a lot of TV lately, and I just haven't been able to sit down and really watch some movies. But a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and watched quite a few. So I will go in order. And these this is the most random like mix up of movies, uh, but go in order of worst to best. Um, okay. <laughs> worst is a horror movie. And I normally wouldn't even talk about this type of horror movie, except for the fact that it's a sequel, uh, because I try not to shit on like indie movies and, and stuff like that. But you know, the first one was apparently successful enough to garner a sequel. So I'm like, fuck it. It's fair game. Now, <laughs> um, don't fuck in the woods too. 
Oh my God. Have you even heard of this movie, Matt? I've heard of the first one. I didn't know there was a sequel. <laughs> Jesus. There's a sequel. Uh, oh boy. And uh, it is an improvement on the first one. The first one I thought was uh, just an absolutely unwatchable wretch of a movie. This one is an improvement, uh, but it's still uh, uh, slightly above an unwatchable wretch of a movie. It's just it's just so edgelord. Oh, <laughs> bullshit. Just just absolutely fucking terrible movie. Um I don't know what possessed me to watch. I mean, I, I watched the first one and I don't know why I watched this one because I knew exactly what I was getting into. But there was just this idea of like, well, maybe they maybe they'll Im- improve. And I guess <laughs> it, but not really. But it's it's also one of those movies that's so indie and so cheap that the opening and closing credits make up like 15 minutes or so of the film's mm to justify it getting to a feature length like the actual movie itself is like an hour long um and it felt like three so you know that is what it is well, i was gonna say at least it was short but it sounds like that didn't help at all so oh man no i never it just the title alone kept me away it was like i think i know what this is from called don't go fucking unless, unless there are people say something like oh don't be fooled by the edgelordy title it's actually good but i never heard anybody really defend the first one so yeah. yeah, you'd almost think with a title that edgelordy, you'd you'd almost have to do like a postmodern thing, right? Like it would have to be like you're you're taking the piss out of these. No, this is this is one of those like throwback to 80s horror made by somebody who's never actually seen an 80s horror movie in their life and uh and they think that all it all it matters is boobs and blood. Um, so it was not, I sound like a, a crotchety old man, but like this movie was shit. It was not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, well now I'll never watch either one. So this is good to know. <laughs> so I'm here, uh, I'm here to help. I appreciate it. Uh, hope you watch something better than that. It's you got, you went from worst to best. So this should get better. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next one is one that, um, I was really excited for and and I've been trying to talk about it on action for everyone. And we actually just keep running out of time every time. And so I'm going to bring it up here and then I won't have to talk about it on A4E. Um, I was really excited for this one. It's called Project Wolf Hunting. It's a it's a Korean action horror movie. Have you heard of it, Matt? No, but I, I like the title already. That's a cool title. Yeah. yeah, it's on. It's on. I believe it's on Haya. I can't remember if I rented it or if it's on Haya. Um, I might have rented it. I don't remember. It's a bit of a blur because I watched like all four of these movies in the same day that I'm going to talk about. But um, everybody in sort of action and horror love it. They absolutely love it. And I'll be honest, it did not work for me at all. Um, Plot is basically all these prisoners. It's Con Air with like criminals taking over a prison transport ship. But there's also this secret japanese world war ii experiment that's basically this unkillable zombie that's on the ship and so it's this weird mix that is incredibly bloody like there's we're talking buckets of gallons of blood i mean and the director was bragging about how many gallons of blood they used to film the movie but there's it, it's one of those movies that is at the same time both exceedingly complicated because there's like 20 main characters. And so you never know who you're actually supposed to be following and uh, borderline simplistic. 
uh, because the entire movie really is just watching people get knives shoved through them and then geysers of blood spout. And the thing for me was, you know, I like hardcore violence and guts and blood, uh, but there is no like the best way I can describe it. There's no viscera in any of the kill scenes. Everybody's talking about how gross and, and violent it is. And to me, I was kind of like, well, not really, because it's all just Kool-Aid. There's not there's not like any like this is going to sound like a like I got like bodies in my basement. But hear me out on this one. There's not like there's not like. Any. um Guts, there's no in the kill scenes. There's not like intestines or brains or stuff coming out. Oh, it's all yes. there's of blood and so <laughs> it kind of ends up looking fake. It just looks like they're spraying Kool-Aid all over the place. And so it kind of just left me cold. Um, did you get all of that? It looked like you kind of you kind of. Yes. Uh, yeah. People you can't see. Obviously, my I noticed my cameras uh, froze up, but the audio never went out. So I heard everything you said, but I looked up and was like. Why don't I'm scratching my head 20 times? Uh, That's a, but I, I'm a little worried that you were having like a seizure because it didn't just freeze. It like it was like on repeat. And so you just kept looking. It kept looking like you were just scratching your head. And I'm like, is 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 uh, do I need to call medical assistance for Matt while I'm talking about Project Wolf hunting? <laughs> no, I uh, God, Yeah, that was <laughs> um, no, I've had camera problems lately. I don't know why uh, with my laptop. And this is not an old laptop at all um it keeps like doing weird like it'll go all green or get all kind of staticky or just freeze like it just did um so that's been fun but otherwise i'm okay i'm all right everyone no no need for a but that movie sounds just yeah that it's funny like all these characters are just blood everywhere so it sounds like if you just like blood that's the movie yeah. <laughs> like well, so there was a there was a movie, an Indonesian movie that came out last year called The Sadness that's playing on Shutter. Um that is truly I think one of the most violent and, and gross movies ever made. Um, and I, I preferred that. Um, this one just felt in the end, to be honest with you, the action I thought was a little lackluster. Uh, the fight scenes are built up to be pretty good. Cause you end up having like super powered people fighting each other. And, and it just didn't, I didn't, I don't know. Everything about it just kind of fell flat for me. It's not a bad movie. And like I said, a lot of people really love it, especially amongst the action and horror crowd. I, I'm definitely the outlier on the movie. Um, so, you know, don't let me not liking it dissuade people from from watching it. Um, but for me, everything just I just didn't think the parts equaled up to anything that was that interesting for me. Oh, OK. Uh, I have heard of the sadness when you mentioned that. I've heard of that. That had a lot of buzz of people. Yeah, we're freaking out about <laughs> how gross that movie is. It's a lot more bleak. And there's there's definitely some shit in the sadness that you can't unsee. And so when I heard, when I, I had a lot of people tell me about Project Wolf Hunting, I was kind of expecting it to be that. And to me, there wasn't anything in this movie that that I was like, eh, whatever. It's, it's Kool-Aid. It, it, it just doesn't. And, you know, and again, that makes me sound like I've got dead bodies in the basement because I'm like, it wasn't violent enough. You know? <laughs> but the problem is the the movie's literally marketed on its violence. And, and that's like its whole shtick is, you know, even the posters and the taglines and everything. And so it's kind of like, well, if that's what you're going to market your movie on and you don't really have anything else to back it up because uh, all you've got is some lackluster action, um, you know then yeah i you better deliver on the violence and i just i didn't think it did okay yeah i mean and there are people who seek that stuff out i'm in a couple like horror groups on facebook and those people exist who like 
just want more gore, more violence. And they do want the blood and the boobs. They want like the, like they want, like don't go fuck in the woods too. Or they just want like blood. And they, they're like, Osprey wasn't gory enough. I just, I couldn't care less. I mean, as long as it's done well, you know, it's just, you can do gore and violence in a shitty way. It's just not very well done. And it's like, well, that didn't, that didn't have to anything, you know? That's the thing is, is, you know, with like the sadness, there's a real purpose to the violence and gore in that movie. It, it is designed to make you feel thoroughly unpleasant when you're watching it. Um, and that's hard to pull off, you know, because for me, a lot of times if I see a movie like Don't Fuck in the Woods that's trying to be edgelord, I just bounce off it. I just tune out. Uh, and here, Project Wolf Hunting is interesting because it's not really trying to be edgelord. But I do feel like if you took away all the geysers of blood, the movie wouldn't be that impressive. Uh, I don't think people would be flipping out for it um, because it's it's structured really poorly. It's paced really poorly and it's structured really poorly. Uh, and so, you know, you don't even really like I said, there's like 20 main characters and you're spending time with all of them. So you don't even know who like your audience entry point is until you're like two thirds of the way into the movie. And then it finally settles on a main character, but it's not like an ensemble because there's too many fucking characters. Uh, it's not like something like Alien where, you know, you don't really settle on Ripley as the main character until almost the very end of the movie. But that's a true ensemble. We get to know all those people. We we understand they have arcs. There's none of that here. You're just bouncing from character to character. You're going to follow this character and then they get killed. And then you follow this character and they get killed. You follow this character and they get killed. You follow this character, you know, and then finally it settles on a main character. But you're like, well, fuck, I like, what are you going to do that's different than right. the five other people I've just watched get slaughtered? So, <laughs> okay. I mean, it sounds, yeah, it sounds weird. Sounds interesting. But yeah, that, uh, um, I'll read more about it because I haven't heard of it until you mentioned it. So I yeah, yeah. If you search it on Twitter, you'll see a bunch of action Twitter talking about it. Um, and, and like I said, I am the outlier on that one. Um, so I think I'm going to skip over one other one, and so I'll just talk about three. But we can talk about the best movie that I've watched recently, and one that I just absolutely flipped shit for, which is uh, the amazing Shin Ultra Man. Uh, that uh, I have I I. I've pre-ordered the Blu-ray already, so I decided to watch it through alternative means, but they've already got my money, everybody, so everybody can chill. I just didn't want to wait until June. Um, <laughs> I couldn't see it for the two days it was in the theater. Um, but for those who don't know, this is this is a sort of uh, spiritual sequel to Shin Godzilla, directed by the same people, directed by Shinji Higuchi and and produced and co-written by uh neon genesis evangelians hideaki anno and it's their version to update ultraman uh just like they did godzilla uh only this one where they really did i love shin godzilla it's actually my second favorite godzilla movie might even be my favorite depending on the day you ask me but they really did some interesting stuff with that this one's much more of a love ladder it, it, they really try and replicate that like 1960s 70s tokusatsu vibe and the movie's just delightful it's just a lot of fun it's very cool it's got great special effects um for uh, especially a budget that you know wasn't great but what i love most about the special effects is they're using these really high-end high-level special effects to make it look like 1960s guys in suits which I think is amazing. Um, it really does look like like Ultraman when he moves. 
they even make sure to animate like wrinkles where like his suit would wrinkle because Ultraman, it's actually supposed to be his skin. He's not supposed to be wearing a suit. But uh, but, you know, obviously in the old TV show, they were wearing suits. And so they animate wrinkle and stuff like that. Um, but it's just a really, really fun time at the movies. Um, it it it. It, re- it it saved watching Don't Fuck in the Woods Project Wolf Hunting for me. Um, it really <laughs> made made me like movies again after I was not feeling uh, high on movies. It's always nice when you go through like a like a kind of a shitty or like a low streak and then you watch something again. It's like, oh, no, I don't hate all movies. Just <laughs> I just had to watch a good one. Um, my knowledge of Ultraman is so limited. Uh I, I I had like an Ultraman toy randomly as a kid. That's basically it was like I had a cool looking Ultraman toy. And I was like, I don't know where he came from because I didn't watch the show or anything. And I was like, I don't know where this came from, but I like this guy. And then I know that it's just like it was a very, very long running series from mm-hmm. Japan. I think Milk Creek put out a bunch of different Ultraman other series or movies like um, I was like, man, they got more of these Ultraman things coming out. How much material is there to pull from? <laughs> like, well, so they do it the same way. Just so you know, if you want me to go in the weeds on this, I can. Or if you I want me to go, is it kind of like how they did Power Rangers, where it's different iterations and yes. like okay. so every every series is a different Ultraman, different characters. They do uh, connect together a lot of them in different ways, and so you get movies where all the various Ultraman team up uh, like there's a really great one uh, called uh, Ultraman eight brothers that I absolutely love that Mill Creek did put out. Um, and so uh, every series is a different Ultraman. So you can continue to do it just like they did super Sentai slash power Rangers or like they do common rider. You can do it forever. Uh, and, and so that's where really why you've got all these different sets. You don't need to try and watch 50, 50- <laughs> Ultraman you can just pick a random Ultraman and start watching it and you'll be fine um that's good to know yeah <laughs> but yeah it's in that same vein it's in that same vein as Power Rangers and, and stuff like that um you know basically every series involves an alien from Nebula M78 who comes to Earth and merges with a human to become the protector of humanity uh and our terrible terrible horrible atmosphere means that he can only be ultraman for three minutes so you basically that's how you 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 know how long the fights are going to last because he can only be ultraman for three minutes um (laughs) and so it uh it's just a lot of fun a lot of great like kind of goofy martial arts a lot of these a lot of the guys when they started these shows godzilla was the same way they were all the suit actors were all Japanese wrestlers. So instead of sort of some high level martial arts, it's a lot more like wrestling type fights where they're just throwing each other around and stuff like that, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I, it comes out on Blu-ray in the U S in June. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, I think it's, I think it's just an absolute blast of a time. Uh, especially if people like goofy, you know, guys in suits kind of, action movies like i do um i really can't recommend it highly enough oh nice nice well i'm glad you enjoyed that so much especially after watching bad stuff for a couple couple times in a row there i had yeah i had a slump recently i'm not going to mention like the stuff i was watching that was bad i don't know what was i was like god i can't hit i can't Come do anything on, i just mentioned don't fuck in the woods too you gotta at least <laughs> throw them out there we don't have to talk yeah. about it, the, weird, the weird thing is like i have very little say about that well I'll, I'll throw the names i'll throw the names out so craven craven f this movie they just did an episode on cursed What's mm-hmm. Craven's Curse? And I rewatched that. I have not seen it since the theater in 2005. I thought I kind of remembered liking it. 
Jesus Christ, I did not like her. <laughs> oh, talk about like uh, you said, like uh, for love of the game, not feeling like a Sam Raimi. This barely feels like a Wes Craven movie, and I know it barely is a Wes Craven movie because it was. That's one I've gone back to the well like four or five times on trying to convince myself that I like it, and I just I I I can't I can't get there. It's such a mess. I had forgot. So I was like, I had this I random old DVD, the unrated cut. And I was like, well, I don't think I ever saw that. I kind of want to watch Curse after they talked about it, uh, even though they didn't like it that much either. But I was like, I don't know. And Curse was bad. Like, you know, I just forgot what a, and you can feel that it's like stitched together of like three or four different movies. Uh, so that wasn't good. And then I tried to watch the movie Basic, which is a John McTiernan movie from 03 with John Travolta and Sam Jackson, which I, could barely get through <laughs> and like it it was like it wasn't just a boring it just was like i didn't give a shit about anything that was happening in the movie and it's like i couldn't believe it was john mctiernan i was like i thought it was pretty for him badly directed because i think his stuff's usually pretty well it looks pretty great for the most part um i mean it's just like this kind of thing where i don't know they have all they got all these twists they throw out the end obviously it's all basic Yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah, I, I saw it. it. You know, that was really when Travolta started to hit that hit that post-Pulp Fiction, post-like face-off uh, arena where he was, he was a major Hollywood star again, but he was starring in a lot of movies that just... They weren't that good, and they they ended up not doing very well at the box office. Basic, Basic was one of them, I think... Uh, domestic disturbance if i remember right was in that sort of same area and and some of that you know and it, it just yeah a lot of them just didn't work in that time for him um i have a soft spot for the general's daughter which came out around that same time but uh but yeah i uh it, it was a bad stretch for him yeah which i think is a movie that i mixed up with basic that i thought they were like i kept making thinking they were the same movie or something but uh I don't I think because I think Adam Risky brought up basic on uh, at this movie and I thought, oh, I should I've heard there's a twist in that. And I like Sam Jackson, John Travolta and it's John McTiernan. And I just I was so convoluted. I didn't care. By the end, there was like a twist on top of a twist off a twist. I was like, this is nonsense. <laughs> and so it's like it's oh, um, and, you know, what's even more annoying. And this is not the movie's fault necessarily. The streaming service I watch it on randomly, no subtitles on the movie. And it's a movie where you really need subtitles because there's constant rain and soundtrack and thunder and gunfire. There's always some noise. And I was like, I can't hear what anybody's fucking saying. <laughs> like, which made it more frustrating. Like half the time I was like, what did they just say? Um, I'm deaf in one ear. I need subtitles. I was like, this is, you know, I was that was just more, that was just an added layer of like, oh God, this is not having a fun watch. But something else I watched that I'll talk about more proper i'm pretty sure you've seen this i don't know what compelled me to say i need to finally watch the glimmer man with steven seagal <laughs> keenan ivory wayans uh glimmer man i actually enjoyed a little more than cursed and basic because it's so ludicrous and it's like i kind of it sounds mean but that's that period where i kind of like laughing at how ridiculous steven seagal has gotten because he's wearing his like own shirts jacket and all that stuff yep it's <laughs> his ridiculous jackets he's got his beads he's like in his non-violent era like i think i heard a story about th that movie going man he like didn't want to kill anyone a and they're like steven you've got to kill people it's an action movie and they kept trying to find ways around i think there's a scene with like steven 
Toborowski, I can never pronounce his name, very famous character actor who's Groundhog's Day. Uh, he's in a church and he's like, uh, Seagal comes in to confront him and he's trying to talk him down. He's like, hey man, you don't need to do this violence, but you know, but and just trying to, and then they were like, I think the scene's supposed to end with him killing Steven Toborowski and then Seagal's like, I don't want to kill him. So what they did was have, they say, Seagal, just shoot him in the, the shoulder. He won't die. And I think they edit it in a way that's like, oh no, he did die. <laughs> it's like, the, so they, yeah. it, it's like Keen Ever Wayans and Steven Seagal are not even like in the same movie. It feels like they are, they feel like they are in just two different movies somehow been forced together. They have, I don't know, like the buddy cop thing where it's like, oh, we're from different uh, backgrounds and we don't get along, but there's not even anything resembling chemistry. And uh, I, the only part I, the part that I really enjoyed was in a bunch of like Russian mobs was going to confront Seagal and they're like, throw your guns down and then like, they're like, I think Seagal's like, can I get my wallet out or something? And pulls out like a credit card. He's like, I don't have any cash, but I always have plastic. And then pulls like a razor, a razor like shoots out of the credit card and he slashes the guy's throat. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, um, so stuff like that makes it more enjoyable, but it's not, it's like Seagal doing seven. It's really fucking weird. It's not a good movie. <laughs> Really, really weird movie. It's been years since I've seen it, but it's a really weird movie. And and yeah, you're right. It, Keenan, I, Keenan Ivory Wayans just looks almost like embarrassed to be there for most of the movie. Like, what the fuck did I sign up for? Um, yeah, it's 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 really, you know, this was this was in Keenan's action hero period when he was doing stuff like low down, dirty shame. But uh, oof, it just it did not work at all. <laughs> oh, now I think you've frozen. Yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you still. Yes. Uh, let me stop my video here. My camera is uh, apparently wigging. So apparently just camera is not working at all. But for anybody. <laughs> but um, let me see. Fan. Still can't see you. This is great. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> This is this is good listening for the for good listening. <laughs> and you know me, I won't edit any of it out. Uh, this is just this going to go out as it is. No, um, go behind, let it let it go behind the scenes. So um, yeah, okay. I'm going to leave my camera pause for just a little bit, and then I'll turn it back on here so we can keep talking. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, at least at least you can check off having seen the Glimmer Man. <laughs> yes, I can finally. I yeah, it was so funny because I just I should watch the Glimmer Man. And I was like, why am I watching the Glimmer Man? And I was thinking this one was watching it too. I was like, man, I can't think of an actor that I actively dislike more than Steve Seagal where I've watched more of his movies. Like usually if I don't like somebody, I don't watch this many movies they made. Like I because I've known he's a bad person for a very long time. And I don't even think he's that good an actor, but something like compels me to watch these Seagal movies. Like I really do and genuinely enjoy the first um like four or five Seagals. Like I think he has a good run. Um, up until I don't know, Under Siege Two, maybe. Like, uh, I enjoy those movies, but I don't like Steven Seagal that much. But like, I keep watching his movie. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. You know, I I still ride or die pretty hard for Marked for Death because it's a Dwight H. Little movie, and That's, yeah, it's also got my very favorite Seagal line of any line he ever uttered in a movie, which is. Uh, You've seen Mark for Death, right, Matt? Oh, I love, yeah, I love Mark for Death, actually. <laughs> I love when he goes to talk to the guys in the apartment, and then he comes back down, and Keith David goes, what happened? And Seagal goes, one thought he was invincible, and the other thought he could fly. They were both wrong. Like, like I fucking love that line. Like, I, I love that line so much. <laughs> 
that one's helped by having Keith uh, Keith David and being directed by Dwight H. Little and uh, having ridiculous bad guys. Um, and I, my favorite goal, I think, is in Hard to Kill when he stabs the guy with the pool cue in the neck and says, fuck you and die. <laughs> I remember when we watched that for F this movie fest and, and like everybody loved uh, when it, yeah, he just stabs him and is like, fuck you and die. <laughs> so I'm on board for like early Seagal stuff. Um, but I just yeah. pulled him up and yeah, you can literally, I can tell you exactly where it went off, went off track. So you got oh. above law, hard to kill mark for death out for justice and under siege. Those are all A great run. Yeah. <laughs> Then on deadly ground is utter shit, uh, and uh, and that I know some people like that one, but I, I think that one's absolutely terrible. Then you get Under Siege Two, which I love, and then you get Executive Decision, where they lied to him about killing him off in the opening of the movie, <laughs> and then Glimmer Man's next, and it is all just downhill from there. You get a little bright spot with exit wounds. I like Ticker because it's an Albert Pune movie, but it is pretty much all downhill from there. So, yeah, you got basically five, maybe six, if you're being generous, good Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> yeah, and I like exit wounds. It's uh, I'm trying to think. I'm looking at his filmography now, too. I thought I would like Under Siege 2 more. I don't even hate Under Siege 2. I just think it's like not as good as that first run. On Deadly Ground is kind of fun in the way of like, oh, this is like, ridiculous yeah. like Seagal ego trip um stuff like it's just kind of like watching I think I, I think I might have wrote this on letterbox I was like it's like watching Seagal jack himself off for like two hours oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely absolutely That's insane like and yeah then fire down below is like eh. and then it just it is just kind of not much good after that so um yeah he's he's something I don't know I don't know um let me see here okay now it gets better. So <laughs> I was like, I was like, I need something like I need like a mic special for Mike coming on the show. And I have watched all the undisputed sequels. Yeah. Your boy Scott Atkins. So I and I liked I love all the sequels, really. They're great. Uh never saw the first Undisputed, which is a Walter Hill movie. Uh, and I love Walter Hill. So like, why have I not seen Undisputed? Um, so I watched Undisputed, which I liked a lot. I just think I was thinking, like, I don't know if I like this any more than any of the, the sequels with Scott Atkins. I think it's a good movie, but I was like, I don't know. I think I still prefer all the the sequels. Um, but I, you know, I love Wesley Snipes. Um, oh, my God. Uh, Ving Rhames. Uh, it's it's funny because I was like, man, they don't really give you uh, anybody likable here to, to pull for. But um, this movie with. Basically, if anyone doesn't know, Ving Rhames is a like the boxing world champion, I believe, goes to jail. Um, I think he's accused. I think it's rape that he's in jail for. And he's, you know, Mike Tyson is what he's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the. Yeah, that Mike Tyson thing. Uh, I, Yeah. And then he goes, he's in jail. He's trying to say he didn't do it. They're trying to, I think, get him out. And while he's in jail, Wesley Snipes is like the champion of the, the prison, basically. And there's all these. It's funny because it's barely even Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes really against each other for most of the movie. It's other guys kind of pulling the strings and setting up a fight in the prison between these two, um, which is pretty entertaining. Uh, Columbo himself, Peter Falk, is like pretty great as this like mobster uh, who pulls all these strings behind the scenes. Um, it's it's a fun movie. I I uh, had a good time with it. Not my not near top of Walter Hill stuff for me, but it's it's good because I think. 
there's a lot of not great post 2000s Walter Hill. Um, mm-hmm. But this is still he's still got it here. I think he's still got it. And uh, the final fight is fun. It's a good final fight. Um, but yeah, I'll take I don't I don't know where it falls for you. I like all the Atkins sequels more. Uh, like I, I'm assuming you like Undisputed, though. <laughs> yeah, I do. I really like Undisputed. I um, when I started doing Adkins Undisputed, I I rewatched it. You know, I had seen it in the theater, but then I rewatched it, and I've rewatched it a couple of times since. And and I I really like it. Um, it, it's definitely I think probably maybe the last really good Walter Hill movie. Um. And and I think the cast is just so stacked. The fighting is good, um, and it's it's a very interesting story, you know, about the prison system and black people in prison, and and regardless of how famous you are, how you get treated in prison and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot going on in the movie that's really interesting too. Um, yeah, if anybody's only familiar with Undisputed because of the Adkins movies, I, I really do recommend watching the original because it, it does you know and again ving rames character becomes michael jai white's character in undisputed 2 so it, there is a connection there the, the you know it, it, undisputed 2 is a proper sequel uh so to speak um so you know there's 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 a lot there worth worth digging into and and i think it's uh, it's the last time Hill felt particularly um, interested to me. Uh, he he still felt like he, like I, I I watch him make movies now, and it, it just looks like I don't know. He's just kind of making movies to make movies. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's like I kind of want these older guys to keep making movies, but at some point, it's like maybe the maybe they've lost the fastball. But you know, it's kind of like, uh, and I haven't seen his newest one, Dead for a Dollar, his western. I haven't seen it, but I have heard not great things. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But I haven't seen it. So, but I did not like Bullet to the Head. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I really hated the assignment. I, 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 I just hated the assignment on so many levels. So, I've I've been avoiding the assignment because just the uh, the premise is uh, icky. I guess we could say it's, well, it's the movie's icky along with the premise. I mean, Michelle Rodriguez is great. She gives it. She gives it her all. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's one of those movies where I, I think they were trying to do something provocative and they ended up on Icky instead. It's uh, <laughs> the mark on provocative and ended up with Icky. <laughs> it can happen when you want to push the envelope too much. Yeah, his yeah, his post 2000 stuff's even less than I thought, really. It's undisputed. And then Bullets of the Head and Assignment and now Dead for a Dollar. And there's a TV movie and a TV miniseries in there. He did some Deadwood. Oh, yeah. He did, yeah I forgot he was involved in Deadwood. Deadwood. And that 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 would probably be like the best thing he's done in the 2000s is his stuff on Deadwood. So, I mean, yeah, happy to see it finally. Happy to watch another Walter Hill movie. So good. Definitely worth watching. Especially people like me who've only seen the Atkins Undisputed movie. So, um the last thing, a new movie, it just came out. I don't know how much to say about it because it's real simple. Uh, Cocaine Bear. Yeah. <laughs> Cocaine Bear is exactly what you think it is. Like, I, there's that's not there's not too much to say. I uh, had a great time with it. I saw it in the theater. I saw it in a packed theater. My God, this place was like, I think sold out on like a. And I think I looked at other showings that same day. It was opening weekend. And like every screening, it was sold out in my local theater uh, or close to being sold out. And um, and they were loving it. It was I, I think what's going to happen is a lot of people seen it now 
are like, this is fun. It's it's good. And people are going to see at home probably not like it as much. I think the crowd did add a lot of energy to it. I think it needs that experience. Like, because um, I could see some people at home watching and being like, ah, this isn't, this is kind of dumb. I don't get I me. Mean, it is dumb. But it's like, you know, there's an element there people will be missing, I think, uh, if they don't see in a theater. Because I definitely added something. Because uh, it, it did make it more fun. Uh, people just like losing their minds over certain parts. Uh, it's way more violent than I thought it would be. I knew it'd be kind of bloody. But it was like gory, like, I mean, just it's like uh, people getting faces dragged across concrete. There's wrist being like completely snapped. Uh, it's just like I was like, Jesus, this is gnarly. And one of the weirdest things about my screening was that it was like packed with children, like an R-rated movie called Cocaine Bear. And I would say almost half this audience was full of like kids. Like it was bizarre. My whole row down from me and uh my buddy Ken, Ken Walker, we were, we, it was like just children. We were like, what is going on? It's like, was Cocaine Bear Market on Nickelodeon? I don't understand. So it was weird. I don't know what happened with that, but uh, they all seemed to love it. Everybody loved it. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's dumb. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, it actually has a pretty fun supporting cast, like O'Shea Jackson and, oh, fuck, what's his name from the solo movie? Uh, Alvin. Oh, right. Yes, that guy. Thank you. Um, Carrie, I can't remember anybody's fucking name <laughs> from from uh, Felicity. Carrie Russell. She's like, it's weird because it, it doesn't really have a lead. It kind of switches perspectives. Like there's different people running around doing different things while this bears on cocaine in the woods. And uh, but she, I would say she's probably the main lead. Like her kid is missing out in the woods. Uh, it's nice to see Carrie Russell like lead a movie in 2023. That's nice. Um, Ray Liotta, his last performance, I believe. I don't think he has anything else. What what one to go out on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, so it's fun. It's a it's a it's a good time. Um, it's definitely one I want to see. It's just as you know, Matt. I don't really go to the theater. I pretty much only go to the theater if the A four E boys like make me now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, like I got to go to the theater this weekend as we're recording because it's Creed three, and and that I would go see anyway because it's fucking Creed three, but. Like Cocaine Bear was one where I looked at it. I loved the trailer. It looks exactly like my shit. Like it looks straight up my kind of shit. Um, it, it, a lot of the vibes in the trailer actually kind of reminded me of the humor that I love so much in Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, just just kind of a, a very similar, like just go for broke, ridiculous kind of humor. So I definitely want to see it. And you're you're liking it makes me even more excited to see it. I'll just catch it on VOD, unfortunately. Yeah. I wasn't trying to shame anyone to go to the theater to see it. I just, <laughs> I was like, it might, yeah, it might play better. I, but it, it, that's a good comparison. I talked to Dale Evil because I was, now that you say it, I can kind of see some comparisons because there's a lot of violence that's kind of uh, played for laughs, I would say. But it's weird because, like, it, I, it, it could be mean spirited, I guess, if depending, but I didn't think it ever crossed over to that territory because it's just so ludicrous. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, um, well does kind of have a, again like Raimi she kind of has like a little bit of a mean streak in her but I still think she she knows how to balance that tone because like uh Pitch Perfect 2 has a real mean in fact all the Pitch Perfect movies have a real mean streak in them you know but she knows how to balance that tone uh in a way that I think makes it work uh so yeah I'm I'm and again it's still just weird to me that Elizabeth fucking Banks directed Cocaine Bear like that that just blows my mind 
<laughs> yeah, I've, I never, I've not seen a pitch perfect. I have not seen her Charlie's Angels. I, I think I'm happy for her because I like her. I know she kind of needed a win, I think, because uh, Charlie's Angels not do well. No. I don't know what she's, if she's done anything in between. And I know this is doing really well, like way overperforming. And I'm happy because this and a couple other things I've had this year are like overperforming. And they're like Megan, I think, did really well, the horror movie. Yeah. Um, there's something else I'm forgetting. And everyone's now talking like, oh, I think Hollywood's going to get the message. Like, we need more of these like kind of wacky, you know, original type movies out there instead of just all Marvel stuff or all, you know, like, um, I'll take more cocaine bears. It's fine. It cut, it felt like <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. I'm seeing this in a the theater. Like, it's just like one of those weird like things that like, you know, and it's pa a packed house. And it was crazy. I was like, wow, everyone came out for cocaine bear. Yeah. Uh, knock at the cabin was the other one that really yes. over. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very happy to have stuff like that. These are like the stuff we all harken back to in the nineties. These weird little, like they call them programmers, I believe, you know, like the little, like just kind of, stuff yeah. every weekend it was a nice variety it's been a good variety this year so far so i just pulled up i just pulled up the box office and fucking a man called Otto is still in the top 10 and it's made 62 million dollars does that movie even actually exist like like I, before people get pissed off yes i know it's got tom hanks i know it's a remake all of that sort of stuff but it's like have you found one fucking human being who's watched a man called Otto? <laughs> <laughs> like, I can tell you my mom and stepdad who are in their late 60s really want to see Man Called Auto. It's like their it's like their Avengers Endgame. My mom was like, a man called Auto comes out, but they went on vacation as soon as it happened. But they're like, we're gonna see it when we get back. Like, uh, and they they are the typical like older movie crowd because they don't go right when it opens. Right. They see all the things like 80 for Brady. They saw at my mom's review of 80 for Brady was it's cute. Like, which is all you know, it's like that's what that's what they wanted for 80 for Brady is people like my mom to be like cute. Like that's all it. And that's fine. My mom needs movies too. So <laughs> I had no interest in 80 for Brady. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I again I'm not shaming anybody that's that likes a man called Otto. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know. I don't maybe it's great. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird to me that it's done $62 million like that. Cause I like, I remember when it came out cause it came out like, I think right around Christmas and it didn't really do much when it came out. And then it's just kind of chugged along. You know, it's the same way Puss in Boots, the last wish has made $173 million. That's one thing that I do think hopefully Hollywood gets the idea about again is that animated movies like that should be in the fucking theater. Pixar, I guess I should say Disney, um, you know, uh, anyway, uh, there's my there's my box office rant. But yeah, Cocaine Bear overperformed. Good. Good for it. <laughs> Fun movie. That's all. I mean, there's I just don't expect too much from a Cocaine Bear and you'll be fine. You know, I think. I, yeah, <laughs> this is what I love about this is why I am actually like one of the defenders of snakes on a plane, because I think that movie got a lot of unnecessary backlash because people were expecting because of the internet for it to be some thing. And I'm like, dude, it's <coughs> there's snakes. There's a plane. There's Samuel L. Jackson. What the fuck else do you want out of the movie? Like, 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 and to me, that's like, if there's cocaine and a bear does that cocaine and then kills a lot of people, I, I don't, I really don't, sometimes something being what it says on the tin is just fine. 
Yeah, I, I say that all the time. It's like I ordered pepperoni pizza. I got pepperoni pizza. That's, you know, I got what I wanted. That's fine. Like, it's not, you know, it's like you got what you wanted. It's OK. It's like as advertised. Also, that's a good double for Lindsay. I think snakes on a planning cocaine bear. I think oh, I see. Totally would be a great double for Lindsay. Lindsay, if you're listening, yeah, hit, hit, hit your boys up if you want to do that double. Matt and I will do that double with you. I would do it. Yeah, that uh, I, I need to rewatch snakes on a plane because I was some people that was like disappointed, I think. And I don't know what I expected because it does deliver. So- I think I just thought it was so I was, stupid. Yeah, I don't know. I was in the bag for that movie from minute one. Like I love Snakes on a Plane. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's got Sunny Mabry looking hot. It's got Chris. It's got Chris Hemsworth's wife in it. Like there's giant snakes. Like a dude gets his head eaten off. A dude gets his dick bit by a snake. Like what the fuck do you want out of a movie called Snakes on a Plane? <laughs> this is true. I think I was too harsh on the whole idea of what the bad guy's plot was I'm like this is not this is the hardest way to kill someone i think is to put these snakes on a plane it's like oh, you could just sure. shoot him like just but for it's such sure. a dumb thing to get wrapped up in on snakes on a plane like the premise is yeah yeah oh so i don't know justice for snakes on a plane i guess uh it's snakes on a plane god damn it <laughs> oh boy okay well that's all i had so um we could talk about the quick and the dead now okay um, Good. <laughs> it's good good let's warm talk, up let's talk about the movie that's better than any of the movies that we actually just talked about that is 100 percent accurate yes that is true um it's yes okay this movie uh i i don't know where to start here because there's a lot i could start with i know well i'll start with this i know because you are i think people know you're a huge sam raimi fan i think you have never Correct. been shy about that yes so <laughs> uh and I believe you said this before we start recording now, because I get I get blurred. We start recording. You saw this in the theater, 95, as a huge Sam Raimi fan. So talk about that and then your reaction to it a little bit. Um, Yeah, I was I was already a big Sam Raimi fan because of the Evil Dead movies and Army of Darkness and Darkman. So I was already completely in the bag for Raimi. Um, when I saw it in the theater, I liked it. I did like it. I, I don't want it, but it, it was... And I liked the raininess of it. Like, I loved the raininess of it, but it felt a little at the time. It felt a little shallow. And I thought Sharon Stone was wildly miscast. Uh, And I thought Leonardo DiCaprio was very annoying. And I thought Gene Hackman was literally just replaying his role from Unforgiven. Uh, The only thing that that I really flipped for besides Raimi's direction was uh, this uh, little known guy from Australia in it who I was like, God damn, that guy's a movie star uh, by the name of uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, and, and so back then I was like, holy shit, who is this guy? Because I hadn't seen Romper Stomper yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that was my first experience seeing Russell Crowe. Uh, so I liked it, but I would have put it at like a two and a half, maybe three star movie at the time. Um, fun. Uh, it is... Over the last close to 30 years, which I we did say off air, and I was like, Jesus Christ, um, as I age to dust. Uh, the more times I watch it, the more it creeps up uh, to where it's now like a four, four and a half star movie for me. And I actually think it's kind of in Raimi's upper tier of movies, uh, because I think all those complaints have gone away for me. Um, I, I Hackman is just doing his Unforgiven role but now that we don't get gene hackman movies you know and and that's one of the other problems is don't forget this movie came out the same year as fucking crimson tide right so it's like 
there's some Gene Hackman comparisons going on here. And, and as much as I think he's great in this, it ain't what he's doing in Crimson Tide. Um, but we don't get Gene Hackman performances anymore. So now I'm like, fuck it. It's Gene Hackman. I don't care. It's amazing. <laughs> Gene Hackman being amazing as he always fucking is. Uh, Leo's not annoying now because now I can see the star power and the star wattage that he's bringing to the role. Um, Crow remains awesome. And I completely have done a 180 on Sharon Stone in this movie. I don't think she's miscast at all. I don't think. And, and also it helps once I learned some of the behind the scenes stuff, I am so glad she's in this movie. Um, and so now I just, I just rewatched it today and I was just like, mm. Magnifique. That is it is cinema for uh, for me. I, I just I really have no notes on it at this point. <laughs> Tremendous. No notes. Great work, Sam Raimi. Uh well that, we're done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's funny because I uh I saw this um around uh it had to be when he did his first Spider-Man movie because I was not really aware of Sam Raimi before that spider-man movie honestly because i was younger he had that run of movies that i don't think hit quite as big like i'd seen darkman but i didn't know who directed darkman because i was a kid uh but then with spider-man because like, i gotta know who made spider-man i gotta know the main guy so i go back and start finding stuff this is also period i'm getting into like who's making movies certain directors and i find out he made a movie called the quick and the dead the funny thing about this is i was so anti-western around this age i don't think i'd seen I can't even think of what I'd seen before Quick of the Dead, honestly, that I, that I had chosen to watch myself because, like, my stepdad, like, loves Westerns, and I think I was very, like, and he watches, like, the the kind of hokey, <laughs> like, the real, like, kind of cheesy Westerns that really can, I'm like, oh, I don't want this. So I was so, like, anti-Western. I, it made me not like Back to the Future 3, actually, because I'm like, this is too much of a Western. Made Daniel Epper, Epler and Preston Mitchell cry, by the way. You'd both of them weep openly by your, your shitting on Westerns. This is a long time ago, guys. I was like 14, 15. So, uh, and so, but I, but I was such a big fan of his Spider Man in 02 that I sought out some more Sam Raimi movies and I watched Quick and the Dead. And it, com- this is huge. It completely made me think I could watch other Westerns because I fucking loved it from the minute I saw it. I was like, this is what I want every Western to be. And then, and then I started finding the spaghetti Westerns. Um, which this is much closer to any kind of, I think, traditional 50s Western. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was like thinking today, I was like, wow, Quick and the Dead was like my complete gateway into Westerns. Um, and it's a very, it's funny because it's playing with so many Western tropes, but in such a unique way with the Sam Raimi spin on it, that it's like there's nothing else quite like it. Um, it's it's crazy so i was like wow this movie's more important than i realized because <laughs> i was like fuck westerns i'm edgy i'm like you know i'm like i'm not gonna watch these and then i'm like i can give westerns a chance after quick and the dead um and to your point I, it's like I, and i mean i liked it then i like it now this may be kind of like you know we sound like old men and like the nostalgia's getting to us but like <laughs> things just aren't made quite like this these days and uh Everything about it, I think, is better because you saw this in 95 when, you know, it's it's a whole different time to now. And like this, I think, feels probably much like a richer movie in 2023 than it did in 95 even because it's like, oh, shit, we don't get stuff like this anymore. Hardly, you know. <laughs> well, to be fair, 
uh, to be fair, you uh, you didn't get movies like this in 1995 either. But <laughs> the difference was you were much like the Gene Hackman component. You know, at this point, you're expecting 40 more years of Sam Raimi making fucking movies, not one movie in the last 13 years or however long it was, you know. And so it's like that Raimi-ness has become so much more special in 2023 because, A, nobody can do it like he does. I, I'm sorry. Nobody does it like he does. And B, we don't get very much from him anymore, uh, you know, and, and so it does make it this much, I think, richer and rarer thing because – at the time, it was, you know, this was kind of in the heyday of the revisionist Westerns like Unforgiven and Tombstone and, and Wyatt Earp and all of those. And it was like, OK, well, this is just Sam Raimi's version of this. You know, that was one of the biggest things for me is it was, I'm like, it's good, but it, it wasn't Tombstone, you know, um, and, and. Like, I love Tombstone, I think Tombstone is damn near a perfect movie, but comparing this to Tombstone is such an absurd thing to do on its face that I want to go back to 1995-96 and smack myself around because like of course it's different than Tombstone. Like like this is not trying to be Tombstone. This is this is blood sport with shootouts, with gunfights. I mean that's really what it is. It's fucking blood sport with gunfights. And that is an amazing hook for a Western, I think. That's the best sell job I've ever heard of this movie. <laughs> like how I'm up with the Bloodsport gunfights is, yeah, I mean, it is. It's a tournament. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing just with quick draw gunfights compared to just uh, martial arts. That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny because the whole St. Raimi thing, like he works so infrequently these days. Um, which I, you know, I'm glad I'm guess he's happy. I think he's like gardening or something. I think I hear that he's like, he loves his garden, loves his garden. Yep. Glad he's happy. But then I watch this. I'm like, Sam, can we get like a movie every like three to four years or so? I mean, look, I get something like, like I'm a I'm begging, like, please, sir, may I have some more? And, um, and oh, really quick, what you said too about like, I was thinking that this movie when I said, I always could we say that a lot, like, oh, we don't get something like this anymore. But like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of stuff like this in 95. This was weird in 95. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just a very special movie. And I, I feel like I was looking at kind of some reviews, like the critics kind of were shitty. It didn't do well at the box office. It made, I think, half its budget, if that. And critics didn't like it. And I'm like, what was wrong with everyone in 95? But uh, there was a glut of Westerns at this time, too. And that might have had something to do with it. I don't know. But. Um, yeah, it, it's a very non-traditional Western. But yeah, I mean, it, it broke Raimi for a little while. I mean, he didn't make another movie for three years because he kind of this he was like despondent after this movie. Um, but uh, but it it just is one of those things where it's everything Raimi's ever done has always, I think, been genre defining and, and pushing things forward. And that's not always going to be appreciated in its time uh and that's what you've got here you've got and and you know and you've got let's be honest you've got a lead who uh sharon stone at circa 1995 was certainly bringing up complicated feelings in people because she was known for basic instinct but hadn't really 
capitalized on that role. So the idea is, you know, she she'd done some sexy parts like that fucking shitty William Baldwin movie Sliver and stuff. But it was like, you know, you got her trying to branch out and do something different here. And and I remember the reviews at the time were not kind to her. And and there is if you go back and read some of those reviews, I mean, the misogyny literally just oozes off the page in terms of, of some of those reviews when it comes to her. Um, and I think we're a little more open to the idea now, hopefully knock on wood, Andrew Tate people, notwithstanding, <laughs> you know, and, and that was the one for me, even I, cause I, I was never like Sharon Stone is an actress that I have grown to really appreciate a whole lot more as I've gotten older. Uh, when I was younger, I she was the hot chick in Basic Instinct, and I didn't think she had very much range. Uh, I still don't know that she necessarily has very much range, but what's absurd is I'm a Keanu Reeves fan, so why the fuck am I judging Sharon Stone for not having range? Like, like you know, and, and now I've come to appreciate that what Sharon Stone brings to the table in most of her roles is something only Sharon Stone can bring to the table. Uh, and, and I think that's what's going on here. She she brings a weight to this role that I just never really appreciated until maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah, I, well, I was going to ask you about Sharon Stone at this time because uh, you're making a different case than I thought. I thought people were just kind of getting tired of her after Basic Instinct. Was it more, do you think, the misogyny against like a female lead in an action movie? Or was it both, I guess? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit, you know, she, she inherently had... Uh, you know, she was she was one of those weird, you know, those Hollywood overnight successes uh, that took 10 years. But it felt like when Basic Instinct came out, she came she came from nowhere, you know, came from out of nowhere. And then she was everywhere for a while. And uh, and I think, yeah, by this point, people were and her movies were doing progressively worse and worse at the box office. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, I think there's some inherent. I, I don't think people would necessarily say that even in 95, uh, but I think there probably was some inherent sort of misogyny of of uh, a woman like Sharon Stone. You know, I even remember some reviews criticizing that she was she was too pretty to be in the old West. And it's I'm like, motherfucker, oh. Russell Crowe, like <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, like, you know, and, and so I just think there was a bit of an inherent bias towards her that that even i probably was in somewhat you know was somewhat part of um there was also you know it's the same year casino came out and and so and and her her role in casino is i think over time you know i mean she got a lot of nominations and stuff for it but there was also a lot of people that didn't like her performance in that movie i i was one of them again i now recognize she's giving the exact performance she needs to her character is just meant to not be particularly likable. Like that's kind of the, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's nailing what she's supposed to, but yeah, there's, there's a whole lot going on here in 95 that conspired to make this movie, not the hit that it should have been. Yeah. I it's Sharon Stone. I, <laughs> I like Sharon Stone. I don't have anything against Sharon Stone, but it does feel like she has to be cast in a very specific, like, part to be and there's a lot of actors like that who like need to be uh, put in a if they're in the wrong role it really is not good like if they're kind of cast as the wrong part it's like it doesn't work but when they're cast correctly they're like the perfect person for the part if that makes sense like you got to cast them right put them in their wheelhouse basically it's like you're not going to make 
uh, a quarterback play safety. You know, it's like you got to put him in the right position to to play the part. And I think when she's cast correctly, she can she's great. Um, I don't I had never had a problem with her in this movie. I just always accepted, you know, like, oh, yeah, she's the lead. She's good. Like I, I like her. She seems tough. Like, I thought there was like some weird thing. People like really got too into her in the basic instinct role. And they were almost like scared of her as a strong sexual woman a sexually free woman and there was a lot of pushback and yeah there's definitely that and 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 on top of that you know this is also coming off of the year before she did the specialist which is a perfect example of uh, casting her because of basic instinct and like not knowing what else to do with her like just absolutely having because that movie's fucking I, I will admit, I actually enjoy The Specialist, but it's fucking bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> I enjoy out of that movie uh, because James Woods, uh, asshole extraordinaire, but he is doing a James Woods thing in it that's, if you can separate that he's a fucking awful person, it's entertaining. Stallone looks bored as shit in it. Uh, he and Stone have no chemistry, but it's almost interesting to watch for that. Um but uh, yeah, so I mean, there's just, you know, the the early 90s, the post basic instinct Sharon Stone for about five or six years was it was a wild time. It was a weird time. People really just didn't know what to make of her. And uh, and that hurt in a lot of a lot of movies that she gives, I think, pretty good performances in. Yeah, I, I, that run after basic instinct when it's like, you know, the world should be her oyster at that point. But then it's like, I feel like, is it her fault or agent's fault? Or the movies are just bad. They turn out bad. Like I, the run is not good. Post basic instinct, and it's like who's to blame? Uh, but then she does this probably to try to, like you said, kind of maybe buck the trend a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I like her in it. I, I've always you need someone who's like a tough character, but then she still has this very this like emotional arc that she has to go through. That or that we you know we don't know what's going on. Why she's there at first for the gunfight. Um, I kind of forgotten about all the stuff. Uh, talk about some some mean streak, dark stuff that really puts in the movie. I, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is this is way worse than I remembered. What happens? So we're gonna spoil Crazy the Dead People, but we're the the when it's all the way to the end of the movie because I looked at the timestamp. I was like, oh, there's six minutes left, and they're still in the flashback of her as a little girl, and Hackman's about to hang her dad, and then she, he's like, oh, honey, shoot the rope, and you, your dad can live, and she shoots her dad in the head because she's like a child. And it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> like this is oh, it was it was I had completely I forgot about that or blanked it out. And uh, I was like, oh, poor Sharon Stone. <laughs> it's, it's so rough, mean and Hackman being a bastard again. He's good at being a bastard. I, I, you know, it's like, yeah, he's good. Yeah. well, and what I like about her performance is she manages to do, you know, one of the things that I've sort of I don't like in terms of. Uh, people listening hear me out i'm not gonna go like on a like fucking incel men's rights rant here so hear me out because it's gonna sound like it when i start off one of the things i don't like about a lot of female-led action movies is that uh they're usually written by men uh, which this one was in fairness uh and their idea is uh of a strong female lead is a dude with boobs uh, you know, and, and and so literally you get these characters that are just they're women, but they're acting like they might as well be Scott Adkins or Stallone or Schwarzenegger or whatever. And in this, I think 
she allows just enough unique femininity into the role uh, in terms of the way she's protective of the little girl, uh, the way she's fully admits that she's scared to die. You know, she she has a chance to kill Gene Hackman and she can't take it because she's afraid she's going to lose. Uh, you know, there's some things that you would never see Clint Eastwood doing. Uh, and I think that's a unique thing that I just didn't give enough appreciation to in 1995 that I absolutely adore about her performance now. She's very much acting like a Clint Eastwood character, but she's not at her core and isn't this lone gunman. She actually has to build a community in a very short amount of time to help her pull off what she needs to do. And I, I think that's that's a very unique, interesting thing that when I said in 95, I felt like the movie was a little shallow. That's because I just wasn't smart enough to see what was going on in it. And and that's a unique thing that I think brings a lot of texture and richness to a movie that at surface glance doesn't look like it has it. That was very well said. That didn't sound like an insult range at all. So that was good. <laughs> it was like... I just didn't want to start it off with what I don't like about female led action movies and have everybody tune like tune. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. What I don't um, like about female led action movies. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. I mean, that is a criticism. It's because even if they put a female led action movie, um, sometimes it's like it's not very well done. It's almost like they did just to just to be like, oh, let's just make it a woman for a change. Like you know, I mean, James Cameron historically very good at having uh, female action leads. Like he's he's done pretty good a couple times um and then this yeah i didn't think about that's a great point like that sharon stone is still bringing like a femininity to it and uh is vulnerable at times in the movie um like when she's at gene with gene hackman at that dinner um she's not like some fearless action hero you know what i mean and uh and the thing about the little girl i forgot about that part that's pretty intense when she's like goes after kill that guy um yeah i mean so there's there's multiple levels here that i feel like i wasn't even getting for a long time uh with what she's doing and her character um i don't i i, I dig her i i think it's good um and now we brought gene hackman a couple times i thought this was funny today i was thinking wow this is the second time me and mike have talked about a 95 gene hackman movie <laughs> completely yeah, that is a bit weird uh that, that, like that's apparently like a pattern for us but hey that's okay i will all talk about 95 gene hackman movies is this his only two two ninety five movies? We have more to cover, or is this? <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. Let's see. I mean, if there's another one, then we got it. Oh, damn it! Extreme Measures is ninety six. I'd fucking love to talk about that one. Um. Oh, Get Shorty's ninety five. Yeah, hell yeah. You haven't oh, covered. 90- okay. Yep. Hell. Yeah. Uh, there we go. It'll be. We'll complete the Gene Hackman ninety five trilogy. I'll come back on and we'll do. We'll do Get Shorty. I'll do Get Shorty. That's got man. What a fucking year for Gene Hackman. Holy shit. Yeah, serious. <laughs> I did not realize those were all ninety five. That's a good year. Um, so yeah, you, you said it, and I agree. He he's doing his unforgiven character again. He's doing his real, uh, mean bastard character from Unforg- which he does great, and he won an Oscar for it. You know, and it was one of those Oscars where it's like, yeah, well deserved. Like, um, and he's doing it again here. I feel like he. It's a kind of thing he can probably do in his sleep. You know what I mean? It's it's not like I don't think he, uh super challenging for him but but i i love him in the movie i just always was blown away at what a slimy bastard he was and yeah his his speech the thing that i think really sets his performance apart in this one uh that makes it 
to me now, not just an unforgiven riff, um, is his speech after he kills Keith David, where he's like, yeah. all I hear about is you can't pay my taxes and my protection, but you've got enough money to hire a gunslinger, you know, <laughs> He just he just chews into that that monologue. And he's such a bastard. And then, you know, that's followed up very shortly later with him killing his own son, killing Leo. And he's such a bastard about that. Like, what does this fucker say? He says it was never proved that he was my son. You, like, oh, my God, I love I love the way Sharon Stone says, I'm going to kill you if I have to go through hell to do it. Like, it is just oh, my God. Yeah, he's such. And for a movie this over the top. That's the other thing that I don't think I fully appreciated when I saw it in 95. You need a villain that's that over the top, too. You need somebody that's just reprehensible. And he is so, so awful. Uh, and I don't mean the performance, but I mean, as, as a character, the character is just so fucking awful in this movie that it is lovely when he gets his comeuppance. And good God, he gets this. He gets a hell of a comeuppance. I forgot about that, too, to jump way ahead. Uh, when him and Sharon Stone, they're, they're uh, you know, quick draw at the end and they get each other. I think she gets shot in the shoulder and she puts a hole right through him and a great Sam Raimi touch that hole right in his chest. And there's light. He sees his shadow with a hole in it and then the light coming through, which is great. And then Sharon Stone shoots him right in the fucking eyeball and he does a fucking backflip, which is I mean ludicrous. But who gives a shit? It's like a, a Sam Raimi thing. It's like that makes no sense in physics, but whatever. It looks fucking awesome. <laughs> like, uh, and you, I mean, they kill him with authority, which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the whole, the whole, you know, again, yeah, we're kind of jumping around, but like the whole climax of this movie is so goddamn satisfying. Like, because you know, obviously, if you're watching it, you know, you know, lady's not actually dead, but like. The way you get the explosions and then you finally get court, you get Russell Crowe like unleashed and and like taken out all of all of Gene Hackman's men and you get him going. The rules have changed, John, every and he loses his accent. He goes foster. Right? Every fight's going to be fair now, you know, and I like but then like, yeah, you get Sharon Stone. Oh, my God. Like, it's such a sad. Raimi builds up to it and it is so cathartic and he lets us linger in those moments of catharsis uh, it, like Raimi loves to let his bad guys get their comeuppance and and he really does let it linger in this one <laughs> it's, it's so good I had forgotten how how satisfying it is and talk about Hackman being a bastard the way he also treats uh Russell Crowe's character through most of the movie is like so sadistic and just I mean for the minute I think he drags him in and is about to hang him in the bar and then Sharon Stone has to save him and then and then he's just fucking with him the whole time where it's like because, you know, Russell Crowe's trying to be this religious guy now and, uh, you know, be a better person, not kill people. And and Hackman just keeps fucking with him. And it's like put him in spots where he basically has to kill people to survive. And it's just like, man, Hackman just like his character like, he gets off from like tormenting people, basically. Yeah, yeah, he's he's well. And I, I love that set, that kind of setup at the end when you think that Hackman and Crow are going to have to to duel. And he says, you know, I'm actually scared of you, Court. And that feeling's invigorating, you know, like it, that's part of the reason he's fucking with him is because he does know that like Russell Crowe is actually maybe the one person that he can't beat, um, you know. So, again, there's there's a lot going on in that in that sort of there's a lot in the uh, in the margins 
of this movie and between the lines in this movie that I, I just did not fully appreciate in 95 that now I really do. And I, that's Raimi at his best. Raimi is a director for all his overt like camera work and all that sort of crazy stuff. Um, he he's really good at putting stuff in the margins and between the lines and these little character beats that he doesn't linger on, but that really reward repeated watches of his movies. Yeah, and I can I can understand not seeing some of the more uh, subtle stuff or the stuff in the margins because the movie is so I think the term would be maximalist. It's so which is a lot of Raimi stuff is very uh, big in a in a good way that I like, but it's so this is like every Western trope cranked to eleven. I feel like it's every like Raimi using every trick that I've ever seen in a Raimi movie, but like using them a lot and using them very uh, effectively, <laughs> like a lot of zooms. A lot of a lot of uh, pushing in like to, you know, things just very dramatic zooms, um, like lots of wild camera moves. Um, just I mean, it, it's it's just there's so much going on that I feel like it's very easy to lose the oh, some of the more subtle stuff, because it's a movie that's so kind of in your face, uh, which probably was so blown away by it when I saw it when I was younger because it was so stylish Um that that's all you can kind of see, I think, maybe the first time or two. But but there's more here than just that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, going back to the Raimi stuff, there's a montage in this that is almost exactly the same montage that he uses in uh, the first Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, where it's, you know, the, the actors in front of like a, a, a clearly a separate background and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, so again, it is you're seeing Raimi again, develop all these or use all these tricks that he would then more fully realize when he gets to Spider-Man. But um, I know part of it, you know, reading about some of the making of this, I know part of it was unlike something like Bloodsport, uh, he was really worried that there's 11 gunfights in this movie and he was really worried that they would all end up looking really sane. Uh, and so that's part of the reason he cranked everything to 11 is because he he desperately wanted each gunfight to be individual and and look different so that they didn't all blend together. And I, in that regard, I think he absolutely fucking aced it like he just <laughs> succeeded um, because, yeah, between everything, you know, every gunfight is just differently shot, differently structured, differently edited. Uh, and so nothing feels the same. Yeah, I read that too. And he did a great job of that because, yeah, at the end of the day, you're like, oh, my God, I've got 11 times where guys or, or guys and girls here and so line up at the end of a street and shoot each other. <laughs> you know, it's like I got to figure something out. And uh, I can't think of. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they all do feel different. I can't think of a time where I'm like, oh, well, we just did that. You know, we did, did the same thing. Um, I think he even uses that whole montage uh, thing in the new Doctor Strange a little bit, like the yeah. people against black background. And yeah. Which I think people give him shit for. Typical Twitter. Somebody, you know, probably children on TikTok were like, like, oh, this looks so dumb. Who let this in a Marvel movie? I'm like, it's great. What are you guys talking about? Like, it's Sam Raimi. Um, uh, Now I really sound like an old man. I'm like, these kids on TikTok. Um, But but, um, that made me so mad because I was so happy to see that Doctor Strange because it's such a uh, a Sam Raimi like calling card, basically. I'm like, okay, now I know he really directed this. You know, it's like... um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so it helps that he just has all these tricks he can pull out because then it's like nothing feels boring. Nothing feels samey. Um, yeah, it's it, yeah, it, I, I love how he does the gunfights. I love uh, 
God, fucking Lance Hendrickson in this is so much fun as like just a side character. He seemed like he had a great time. Like he seemed like he's having the time of his life doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keith David's great. I love, I love oh. when they, the bartender, how do you spell that? And he says, correctly. Like, like, yeah, I mean, just, just amazing. Um, you know, and, and Keith David gets one of the great Sam Raimi esque deaths too, because he gets the, the hole blown in his head and you see Gene Hackman through the bullet hole standing there. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Oh my God. Yes. I, I forgot that was Keith David that happened to, but I remember in Quick of the Dead, somebody gets a hole blown through their head and he, Sam Raimi shoots through the hole and you see Gene Hackman. And I was like, God damn it. That's good. This is what, <laughs> it was like, this is why I watch movies <laughs> for shit like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and, yeah. It's uh it just, you know, and so he's so smart to keep everything moving the way it does Um, that, that it, yeah, I just, there, there's so many ways this movie could have actually been pretty terrible. Uh, but uh, Raimi, well, he doesn't make bad movies, uh, is is what I say. So, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, man, in someone else's hands, this could be a much more uh, boring, uninteresting movie uh, if it was not, you know, it could be somebody else who had done it well. But like Sam, Sam Raimi doing it, I think it makes it so much more interesting because it is a, bu- a tournament with a bunch of gunfights. And you have Sharon Stone's there's, I mean, other stories going on around that too, but um, I could just see a kind of version of this. That's not that spectacular, especially if somebody was like, just had 11 gunfights and didn't do much special with, you know, anything special with them, you know? Um, and I was like, thank God he did this. And it was funny. Cause I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, 95 Sam Raimi. I was like, he's coming off of army of darkness, which I don't know. I don't think it did well. I don't know if it did it, like a bomb, but, it was pretty close to a bomb. Yeah. Okay. So, so not great. And I'm like, well, how did he land this movie? And then very, a lot of cool points for Sharon Stone, because if this is true, I saw this piece of trivia that she was given this long list of directors because she was a producer on this um, and they've been approved to direct the movie. She only sent back one name, which was Sam Raimi, and then asked why she picked him. She was like, she liked Army of Darkness and a bunch of other Sam Raimi movies. So it was like major cool points for Sharon Stone because if it wasn't for her, he's not directing the movie. It sounds like. Yeah, and there's 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 uh there's a uh, some additional quotes where she says basically she didn't feel like she hadn't felt like he'd reached his full potential because everything he had made had basically been low budget, and so mm-hmm. she wanted him to have a bigger canvas to play with. And she basically told the studio she would drop out of the movie if they didn't hire Rainey. Uh, <laughs> is a, an interesting little thing of like Hollywood pay it forward right because just two years earlier sam raimi was the one who was taking bullets for john woo on hard target and basically telling the studio there that you know they're gonna lose him as a producer if they fuck with woo and uh and so you know you've got this whole weird thing where raimi protects woo and now sharon stone's protecting and helping raimi um it's just it's it's really interesting that these very fascinating interesting unusual unique directors need so much fucking help because goddamn studios are so fucking stupid that they 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 can't figure out when you've got an actual master on your hands in sam raimi um you know and so yeah no i i mean this movie doesn't happen and i think that's part of the reason that that lady slash ellen is such a an interesting character is because sharon stone had such a strong developmental hand in this movie as a producer as the star as the person that brought on Raimi, 
um, you know, she really took a strong interest in this movie. And I think it shows it doesn't feel at all to me like a vanity project for her. Um, I I think it, you know, and in fact, honestly, like one of the most interesting things, I don't know which version you watched, Matt, if you watched the international cut or the the U.S. cut. um, Just yeah, just the U.S. cut. Yeah. Uh, they actually cut it. So the only difference is the international cut has a sex scene between Russell Crowe and Sharon Stone. It's got Sharon Stone boobies in it. And she and Crowe actually, what they, they're the ones that cut it because they just didn't feel like it worked uh, for the characters as they had been established. <laughs> they didn't feel like it worked. So they cut it. Um, and I think it, it works. It works better. I, I have the old uh, international DVD. So I wanted to rewatch that just to see if there was any other differences. And literally, it's just the sex scene and the sex scene kind of comes from out of nowhere. It's it's it, it doesn't fit. It's again, that whole early 90s Sharon Stone thing. It's got Sharon Stone. We got to see her tits, you know, uh, but she had enough control in this one to be able to cut it out. And that was, I think, again, part of a little bit of that blowback is this is Sharon Stone not looking like Sharon Stone there. Other than that scene, you know, in the U.S. version, no boobs, no like very few scenes of her being scantily clad or sexy in any way, shape or form. Um, and I think, again, a lot of people weren't prepared for that version of Sharon Stone, but I think she got the movie she wanted. It just took 20 years for people to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read about that sex scene. I, I was thinking, like, I don't know where that would have fit in this movie <laughs> so it would have felt out of place i i feel like yeah <laughs> it comes right after right after she tries to run away and goes to the cemetery and and the doc talks her into going back that's she goes right back to russell crowe and has sex with him because she says well, we could both die tomorrow and they have they they get the bang on and then and then it cuts to the next day so i mean it, it's really the only thing it kind of does is it establishes it helps establish that that ellen and court are closer than we think in, in such a way that you know it makes sense why court would want to help her but i don't think it really adds much other than that um so i don't blame them for cutting it i think it was a smart move if people do want to see it, it's not long. It's only like 20 or 30 seconds. It's a very short. See, it's not like a basic instinct level sex scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, uh, and I thought this was funny too. Speaking of Russell Crowe, that apparently she named Russell Crowe, her favorite on-screen kisser. I saw <laughs> and Leo, like one of her worst. She said it was like kissing. My- <laughs> yeah. When I read that, I was like kissing, kissing my arm. I was like, that sounds so insulting for some reason. It's like, Oh, huge slam on a, Leo out of nowhere. Well, he was young, so you know maybe he didn't know any better yet. <laughs> but um, I thought that was funny to have like her best and her worst kisser in the same movie, basically. But um, it I is think, wild I, to me that Leo is only two years out from Titanic in this. He looks so young in this movie. Oh my god, yeah, it looks like a baby Leo in this movie. <laughs> like it's crazy. And so yeah, it's this movie in '95. I think then Romeo and Juliet the next year in '96, or is it is that '97 too? I, no, I believe Romeo and Juliet. And then he's doing Titanic. I feel like he even looks older in Romeo and Juliet. Like, I feel like he just looks like such a kid here. Like, um, it's crazy. He just looks like a little baby. It was so weird. Um, and I like him. I like him in the movie, too. I think he's appropriately, like, cocky kid. Like, I mean, he, you know, he acts like he's, you know, his shit doesn't stink. And he thinks he's, like, the coolest guy in town. <laughs> and then ends up... Uh, it kind of cost him in the end, but um, he's, I think he's very appropriately cast for the part. I would say. 
I agree. I agree. And I know there were some other actors that they were looking at, like Matt Damon was one. The and, one I saw, yeah. But uh, but no, I, I think he's I think he's perfectly appropriately cast as the part. He's he's the right amount of smart, but the right amount of pathos when he actually does die. Um, you know, and uh and yeah, so I <clears throat> like I said, I didn't like him. I didn't like him in 95, but I, that's cause I, I always had a bit of an allergy to Leo when he was coming up. I didn't like him in what's eating Gilbert grape. I didn't really like the basketball diaries. I didn't like him in this. I kind of liked him in Romeo and Juliet, but I still thought he was a little lightweight. Um, <laughs> I really didn't like Titanic at the time. Um, and so it really took a while for me to come around on Leo. It really wasn't until the aviator when I was like, okay, I need to reevaluate this actor um and and so you know i have some mixed emotions about him but now in this i i think he's perfectly cast in the part i think he's he's the right level of you know because i love the little throwaway line too when hackman buys the cheapest gun he can for for court and uh and leo just looks at him and gets very serious and says it it'll shoot straight, sir. I wouldn't sell it if it wouldn't, you know? And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's, this kid's all full of bravado, but he really isn't a bad person. Uh, you know, he just, he's a messed up son of a horrible human being. <laughs> yeah. Who's really just trying to impress his dad for the most part. It sounds like I've always loved that little scene. It's funny. Cause it's not, it's not like a flashy scene, but when Russell Crowe goes in the gun store with, hackman and they're looking at and leo dicaprio showing him all the guns and then hackman's like what's the worst piece of crap that you have basically that that you'll still sell um just again fucking with what's russell crowe again and i think he and then also i think he's like one bullet or just needs you know don't load it up he's like just need one bullet he's got god on his side he only needs one bullet you know yeah that's well, and it, again, one of the things I love about Rainey and in particular this movie is how efficient it is, right? Because we get introduced to Russell Crowe. We've only ever seen him get the shit kicked out of him. They try to hang him and stuff, you know. And in that same scene, Leo throws a gun to Russell Crowe and he grabs it and then immediately goes fucking Doc Holiday on like spinning it around and stuff like that. And so just very quickly you establish like, oh shit, he actually is legit. He's just trying to you know, walk the path of a righteous man, but you immediately know now he is not to be fucked with. Uh, and so, but it doesn't take, you don't get this whole, how badass is he scene where they explain everything about him? Like literally you just get, you see him twirl the gun like that and you know that he's not to be fucked with. It's so efficient. And that's one thing that I, I again, not to sound like an old man that I feel like modern movies do so badly is they do a whole fuck ton of tell. And and this movie is the epitome of show, don't tell. Um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, that is true. That's that's a definite uh fair criticism of modern movies, is they love to just tell you everything and they can't so they can't trust anybody to just the audience understand anything for themselves half the time. You know, it's like we've got to explain everything completely. Um and yeah, it doesn't do a lot of that in this movie. It kind of just lets it, uh, you figure it out. Uh, and I guess it helps too. I mean, the funny thing is, I was thinking again, it's it's not a, a complicated movie. It's a very straightforward, it, in the story-wise, it's actually a pretty straightforward Western that plays with a lot of Western tropes. I mean, Sharon Stone fucking rides into town and someone asks her like, 
you know, how tall she is to build a coffin. I, th- I know I've seen that scene in multiple <laughs> Italian westerns. <laughs> fistful of dollars. That's really that, that. That's a straight up homage to Leone's fistful of dollars. Yep. That's I thought. Yeah. I, I, that, I know it's from there and I'm sure I've seen another step too. It's like, uh, there's so many, I mean, what else? Like there's just everything you've seen of this is like a Western trope, but that's okay because Raimi's putting so much, uh, extra stuff on it and i mean that in a good way of like it's like i'm giving you a very straightforward western with a lot of western tropes you've seen like the lone mysterious gunfighter comes into town uh the guy wants to be redeemed hackman's a very like western villain you got the cocky kid uh, some of the other uh, supporting characters are kind of like guys you've seen in westerns i mean it's all very uh kind of simple in in the premise but like that's why i think again if it wasn't sam raimi directing i don't know how special the movie is um, because he adds so much to it that, uh, makes it so memorable. Like I just, yeah, I love how he does the action. I mean, I love that. Like the, but the scene at the end is amazing. Like when <laughs> shit starts blowing up and you see gunfights. And I mean, um, I mean, I, I think you kind of joked about it on Twitter earlier. You're like the Sam Raimi guy. I think he's got something <laughs> like, <laughs> It's so hard to watch his movies for me now because I just I, I I mean, it's not hard to watch his movies, but I get so mad about both how he was treated by Hollywood uh, to the point, you know, that he more or less left and that we don't have directors like this anymore um, and and that we don't appreciate them when we do, you know, uh, we, I mean, there are directors right now working who have Sam Raimi's abilities. The big one I think is John Hyams. John Hyams does shit with a camera that looks like that. that it doesn't look like Sam Raimi, but it, it has that same energy, that same verve, that same confidence. Uh, but unlike, you know, John Hyams isn't getting to direct Spider-Man. He's making, you know, $2 million COVID movies that go straight to Peacock. Uh, which, by the way, sick is incredible. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disparaging. But like, th- this is the thing that like it kind of pisses me off when I watch a movie like this and realize in 1995, even though this didn't do well, this was a 25 or 30 million dollar budgeted movie that got a wide Hollywood release with a fucking Academy Award winner in it. You know, like it, and it's this silly, straightforward western. That is completely elevated because nobody here is sleepwalking. Nobody's taking a paycheck. Uh, everybody's bringing their A game. Fucking even Tobin Bell's bringing his A game and he's in it for 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, and like, then you got Ramey, Ramey in it up. Like it just, yeah, it, 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 I don't, I tend to not get too despondent. I like a lot of modern movies. I, I enjoy most movies. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, it was so much better back then. But, I do get a little despondent about the budget aspect of it. Yeah. Like, that something like sick gets like a couple of million dollars and uh, when it should be getting $25 million. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. And I, cause I mean, like I thought 2022 was a great year for movies overall. Like I made my top 10 list and I was looking at it like, God damn, this was a good year. Like the good variety uh, the blockbusters were good. That, that's been a problem for a long time now is like specifically, I feel like there's been a lot of bad like blockbusters, you know, it's like they're kind of getting lazier. But I thought last year was great. So I love modern movies, too. But like you, you watch them like Quick and the Dead and it's like, wow, he had 30 million something dollars to work with this great cast. And yeah, Pete, even like John Hyam, super talented director. Um, I'm sure he would crush it if they gave him even 
like uh, what did cocaine bear cost like 20 million i think it's like they gave him they gave him 20 million like oh my god what could he do with that like um because i think it's a good example he brings a lot to sick which i think uh directing wise i think the script is good it's not the best cam Williams script but i think it's good but i think uh his directing adds so much to that movie um see so yeah, it's hard to get those budgets it's like the the 30 40 million area is like a weird i feel like they don't get that a lot you do like 20 million or less or you do like a really low million two million or you gotta do 100 million there's that weird middle like 30 40 50 that yeah. doesn't seem to happen as much so it's like it's yeah i don't i don't get it um you know i think they... They can do more for less, you know, I mean, now, I mean, Megan only costs like $10 million or something like that, you right. know, and even Malignant, which, you know, do you want to talk about a bug nut Sam Raimi movie? Malignant is <laughs> a Sam Raimi movie that Sam Raimi never directed. Uh, you know, that was 40 million. But again, Malignant looks fucking amazing. It looks incredible. It is a gorgeous fucking movie with some insanely great camera work, some insanely great fight scenes. And that's because James Wan had $40 million to work with. Give John Hyams $40 million and you're going to get something like Malignant from him. You know, you are going to get a fucking game-changing movie out of him. Give him, yeah, like you said, give him fucking 15. I think Day of Reckoning was like 10 or 15, I think is what they had on that one. And uh, he kicked out Day of Reckoning. They gave him an actual budget and we got fucking Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Like, give the man a budget. I did not mean to go on a John Hyams rant. That's okay. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm a fan too. I, uh, it's funny. James Wan is, I, I feel like no one's like Raimi, but I kind of feel like James Wan may be the closest thing we have working to Raimi now. Certainly in the studio system. No, no doubt in my mind in the studio system. Wan is the closest. The thing that I notice about Wan, Hyams, Raimi, and, and, and this also goes to the cinematographers that they all work with is, they don't just view the camera as something that takes pictures. They view it as an active part of the storytelling. You know, so much, I think, of what people complain about when the MC, they complain about how the MCU movies look flat is not just the color grading and all of that stuff. It's that there's no... There's no storytelling in the filmmaking. They're, all, you know, mostly all medium shots, mediums or close-ups, guys like Raimi and Juan really consider the camera another avenue to tell the story. Hyams in Sick is a perfect example, right? How does Hyams let us know the layout of this cabin where these girls are staying? Well, he does a lot of tracking shots and wonders throughout so that as the audience, we get a picture perfect layout of what this building looks like so we know when they're going from room to room where they need to be that doesn't happen if you're just doing medium shots and shit you lose the geography of the scene Raimi can be so hyper kinetic because he also has a mastery of geography and how to use the camera to tell his story and that's the shit that I miss that's the shit that I miss from a lot of modern movies I will like you said we got good blockbusters I will tell you 100% Top Gun Maverick is also a movie that understands how to use the camera to help tell its story. Um, and obviously Cameron, you know, is, is the same way, but it's like fucking John Watts, the algorithm that's known as John Watts, no idea how to use a camera to tell a story. <laughs> and so, yeah, it just, that's the stuff that I, that makes me mad is the visual 
energy and creativity that some of these directors used to be able to bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it does feel like people just don't, aren't using the camera like Sam Raimi would. I mean, again, Sam Raimi's a pretty unique guy, so it's hard to compare. Like, But I feel like he, they just don't get as crazy usually anymore. And there could be a lot to do with like working, like for a Marvel, working in the Marvel system. I don't know how crazy they let you get or how much time you have or what kind of pressure you're under. Um, Raimi did get to do some stuff in his Doctor Strange movie, so clearly... You can if you want, I guess you want, but I guess some people are just like, I don't know, let's just shoot this thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's part of it is it's it's so much more. Well, and, and I think part of the problem is, too, a lot of it is uh, the absence of location shooting. Uh, I, well, I'm yeah. sure that on green screen, because, the you know, the other movie that came out last year uh, that, you know, I love my favorite movie of the year last year is uh, another movie from a director that knows how to use it, for better or worse, uses the camera for storytelling. And that's Michael fucking Bay. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but Ambulance was shot on location for the most part. It was shot on the streets of Los Angeles. I, I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know. But unless you're Cameron, I do wonder shooting so much on green screens if it limits your ability to actually use the camera as a storytelling device because you have to shoot you have to block and shoot everything for the vfx guys to come in and render everything later and if you're doing crazy ass camera moves that just makes more work for the already overworked vfx artists to have to render later design and render later and so i do wonder if if the lack of a physical control over a set um, is is making it harder and harder for these directors who, I mean, look, we've seen Creed. We know Ryan Coogler knows how to use the camera as a storytelling device. I mean, Creed has some of the most amazing camera work I've ever seen in my life. Black Panther has some. I haven't seen Wakanda forever, but I have heard it. It ain't great as far as that stuff goes. So if even Ryan Coogler is kind of getting stifled by some of this stuff, I don't just think it's the Marvel system because I've seen a lot of other non-Marvel blockbusters that are the same way. I think it's the nature of blockbuster filmmaking today. Yeah, because I know the, what's the hot new thing. It's it's not not green screen, but they shoot it where it's like, oh sorry, uh, vertical is yeah. It's a it's a vertical set. It's it, it's a it's a high def screen on a yes. sound. It's what the man. It's what they shoot the Mandalorian on. Okay. Yeah. And I saw like the Batman used it and I'm pretty sure Ant-Man and the Wasp used it. Like it's, uh, that seems very limiting. That seems like you can't get too out of bounds, I guess, with what you're, you're doing. If, uh, if you're using, if you're using that kind of system a lot, you know, um, so I might, you know, that's just, I guess the way things go, but yeah, it's like, I do miss it's, it's like, I miss practical locations. It's like, we like bemoan the loss of like practical, uh, sets and locations, but like, Quick and the Dead. I love this little western town they built, uh, the clock tower, and it has this personality. I mean, it feels like a very typical like movie, small western town, but I love it. I'm like, oh my god, we're out in a real. <laughs> we built sets, like we blew up sets with actual, you know, we blew stuff up. Like it's just fun, especially again when you don't see it as much, it becomes more special. Like if you're seeing it, if everyone's doing that, that's a norm. Then it's like, oh, that was cool, but you know. Then 25 years pass, 30 years pass. And you're like, oh, right. We don't do this much anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And and that's, I think that's the thing is it, it, and I think that, like you said, I think that's why this movie hits more in 2023 than it did for me in 1995. It feels like a much more special, you know, I mean, 1995 was the same year that we were watching 
John McClane tear through actual New York City in a cab uh, with Sam Jackson yelling at him. We saw Denzel and Gene Hackman going at it on a physical submarine set like like a, a, a physical Western town ain't that impressive in 1995 because almost everything was was physical, you know, Um and and now it just feels like yeah it just feels like so much and i and i understand again there is value in it i think a lot of it is also some of this stuff is it's kind of like you know how like a new video game console comes out in the first year of games always kind of suck because uh, developers haven't figured out how to actually take full advantage of of the stuff i think some of the stuff like vertical and some of that stuff is just a matter of people because like on the mandalorian or boba fett you know robert rodriguez still kind of managed to make the episodes he directed look like Robert Rodriguez stuff. Uh, obviously he made Alita look like a Robert Rodriguez movie. And that was almost, in t- that was the whole fucking thing was green screen. Basically Zack Snyder can do that. Although I do find it fascinating. I just saw, I didn't realize this, that Zack Snyder's new movie, his new Netflix movie is almost all practical sets and stuff like that. Uh, they were one of the actors was saying it's like the biggest practical set he's ever been on in his career. Uh, wow. I had not heard that. Uh, what's that called again it's the um shit it's <laughs> something moon uh rebel moon, rebel moon. yeah yeah um, I moon, but that was a book uh, <laughs> yeah i'm excited yeah. for that and yeah i heard uh, that's that's exciting to hear that he's using practical like yeah again there are people that can use um like green screen or the the vertical backgrounds and it's it's still good. And of course you said they're still learning. So they're going to get better at it. Um, how to work with it. Uh, so yeah, just got to adapt. I know we're not going to sit here and be the old men that yell at clouds, but it's like, you know, got to roll with the time. Well, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, look, you, you didn't ask me, let me just, I, I just want to look up really quick here. Hold on. This is going to be a, a ways to go for a joke, but, uh, <laughs> Should I ban uh, for time? <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to for time i got it but uh okay. i'm looking up i'm looking up 1990 1995 movies because part of the other problem with you know being on a podcast like this is you know you asked me to come on and talk about the quick and the dead a sam raimi movie my favorite director one of my favorite movies from my favorite director you didn't ask me to come on and talk about the fucking jerky boys the movie so like that's one of the other problems, right? Is we're 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 lamenting all of this and talking about all of this, but at the end of the day, we're still talking about a Sam Raimi movie, which goes back to my original point of you know this was kind of unique even in 1995 because yes, nostalgia does blind us all, and you know even a good movie like Billy Madison, we're not going to be lamenting about how movies don't look like fucking Billy Madison now because you know what. <laughs> They all look like Billy Madison now, <laughs> you know, and so, where it's like it does depend on the kind of movie that you're talking about here. That's, you know, I'm not just an old man yelling at the cloud saying it was always better back in the day. Like, uh, It just there's plenty of shitty movies that came out in 1995, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could find a, a whole list of bad 95 movies. Oh. oh. Fucking man of the house with Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I saw that motherfucker in the theater. Oh my god! I may have two actually. <laughs> I think about it. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is what happens. You get far enough away from a year, you just, or a time. Like I know people say about older movies. There's so many older movies we've just straight up lost. I'm talking about like 30s, 
40s like that no one talks about rightfully so because they're probably not that good the classics end up surviving you know it's like right yeah yeah. i I mean you can literally uh so let's just look at uh let's see when did quick and the dead come out I, i feel like that came out in the fall um let's see i guess i could do just a control f here the quick and the dead all right so Oh no, it actually came out. I take that back. It actually came out in February. So it, oh. it uh so right around the quick and the dead, you have yeah, the aforementioned Billy Madison being released the same weekend. Uh <laughs> then you get the Brady Bunch movie, which again is a delightfully fun movie, but not exactly pushing, you know, genre filmmaking or creative filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you get the hunted, which is a very good looking uh, William Friedkin movie. Um, yeah, and before the Quick and the Dead, the aforementioned Jerky Boys, fucking Highlander, the Final Dimension, uh, <laughs> like just yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know what my point is, other than uh, we're not old men yelling at clouds, people. I promise. We we just miss Sam Raimi movies. Is kind of. I think that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, that's what it is, right? I miss actual auteurs. I miss creative, inventive filmmakers getting budgets to make movies. Like, that's all. That's all I want. I just, like you said earlier when we started, I just want to, you know what? I'll even settle for five years. Can I just get one Sam Raimi movie every five years? Like, that's yeah. that's that's good enough for me, you know? Can <laughs> I get, yeah. That's not bad. I'll, I, you know, I would take that. Uh, a question here about this, too. I saw some trivia it was very vague. It was like Sam Raimi's original ending did not work. So he went to Sony asking for a writer to fix it. And they gave him Joss Whedon, <laughs> who apparently fixed the ending in one in one day, apparently. Do you know what the original ending was? It didn't work? I have no idea. And I have not seen any other confirmation of, of the Whedon thing. So I, I don't I, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't I don't know what he did on it. I unfortunately okay. I saw that trivia earlier today, too. And I didn't want to dive deeper because that would have necessitated googling joss whedon um and i didn't feel like doing that so um yeah so i i don't i can't say what it is um yeah, yeah. we don't have to talk about joss whedon too much but <laughs> yeah I know they did do pickups where they extended the last gunfight to to give gene hackman to a little more a little more comeuppance so that might have been what whedon added in um you know it I mean, Whedon, like Raimi, is very good at like making sure his bad guys pay. Uh, so that might have been something that Whedon added in that he just felt like it was a little anticlimactic or something. Yeah, I would say the last thing I'll say about Joss Whedon, we can move on. Is I've I've shocked the amount of times seen his name pop up as like a '90s script doctor or just a guy who would come and do. He was one of the best. Is yeah, yeah. I, I just always shot. It's like a secret guy coming and punch stuff up all the time. I see like the script needed works. They call Joss Whedon, <laughs> and I'm like, oh Jesus. He was everywhere. Um, uh, did you know? Also, I thought this was funny. Moonshot, all the westerns. There were twelve other westerns filming in 1984. <laughs> so the the crew faced a shortage of old west costumes, apparently, because yeah. there was. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, like I... it must have been. I was thinking about that though. That must have been like the Unforgiven effect of why there were so many westerns at a time, or. Yeah. It was because because Unforgiven came out in what I want to say 91, 91, 92. Yeah. And and so, yeah. Yeah. So immediately you got a bunch of Westerns greenlit uh, Tombstone and Wyatt Earp come out in 94. So they were filming in 93. Um, you know, 
you had and then of course a lot of those westerns are also going to be your your low budget ones trying to cash in so there was stuff like um you know i think a uh, full moon put out a couple of westerns and and you had those kind of ones too but all of those are all being filmed around the same place and they're all using the same uh you know, props and, and clothes and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then it just as quickly, the Western boom, the early, early nineties, Western boom went away. Yep. And then wild, wild West came out and everyone said no more. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that pretty much probably did it. So <laughs> that might've been the bullet in the head right there. Um, uh, let me see. Oh, Bruce Campbell had a cameo, uh, got cut out. But got cut. Yes. Yeah. He oh. actually, uh, I had seen, I thought this happened multiple times. Maybe I'm imagining that Bruce Campbell, where he put Campbell in a movie and then Campbell got cut out of the movie. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's happened. Well, and Campbell's always in there as something called a fake shemp, which is Raimi usually always tries to find some way to work Campbell in. I can't remember what movie it is, but there's one where you literally only see his hands. Um, this one, he actually had more of a role. But it, he got cut out because they ended up cutting the whole scene out. They they had a scene, I guess it was a wedding scene, it was supposed to give Pat Hingle's character more to do, and they just decided it, it they didn't really need it, um, and so they cut the whole scene out. But uh, but yeah, Raimi almost always figures out a way to put Campbell in his movies. I'm, in fact, I'm not sure that there's one where he's not at least in it. You know, like I said, his hands or at least was filmed and then cut out. So. Okay, yeah, I I, th- I do love that their friendship and how he always tries to put him in every movie he makes, no matter how big it is. Like Doctor Strange, he was just, I was like, he keeps it going. I love it. Uh, so, Maybe Papa Pizza or Pizza Papa, Pizza Papa might have been the best part of that movie. Uh, <laughs> again, I know how just watching Bruce Campbell like beat himself up is is one of cinema's like high points. Like like it's like Fellini's eight and a half and Bruce Campbell beating himself up. And that is as good as cinema will ever be. So, <laughs> you know, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, And oh, yeah. Do you want to go back to all the Westerns that were made at this time? Yeah, so I, I pulled up 90s Westerns here. And so we've got so. In 95, so when they would have been filming all of these, we have uh, a television Western called Bonanza Under Attack, a Christopher Reeve Western called Black Fox, Buffalo Girls, which I vaguely remember with Melanie Griffith and Angelica Houston. Oh, okay. (laughs) Convict Cowboy, uh, Johnny Depp's Dead Man, the Jim Jarmusch Dead Man. Yeah. They count Desperado as a Western. Uh, I don't know that that would have affected... Quick in the Dead's ability to get stuff. Period clothing, yeah. I don't think <laughs> a bunch of ones that I've never heard of. Hard Bounty. That's the full moon one that I was thinking of. It's a Jim Winorski film with Kelly LeBrock and Matt McCoy. I knew there was one I was thinking of. <laughs> Last of the Dogmen with Tom Berenger. Oh, one of my favorites, Savat with Olivier Gruner, directed by the Almighty Isaac Florentine. I've never heard of that. I haven't heard of both of those actually that you just named. So. Uh, and then Wild Bill, the the Walter Hill Wild Bill. Ah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of westerns uh, it, around this time. Um, yeah, yeah it's interesting. If you kind of scroll up to the '90s, you can kind of see it. Definitely is like the Unforgiven effect. There's, there's just no, no question. It's the Unforgiven effect because from '92 to '93, you get a big jump, and then in '94, you get a massive jump. You get. And some like big budget ones coming out in 94, like Legends of the Fall and Maverick. Um, and uh, 
City Slickers 2, which is still kind of a Western. Um, anyway, yeah, there we go. Western, Western education, 1990s Westerns. <laughs> Westerns were, were back in the big in the 90s. So, yeah, that um, it was fleeting. Moderately, yeah. yeah. It was... <laughs> when you got Jim Winorski. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a true, true craftsman. Uh, Jim Winorski. <laughs> you know. um, God, yeah, that was a weird time. But uh, I mean, because, yeah, me and Andy Gorham, our mutual buddy, did Tombstone not too long ago. Yeah. Um, Great episode. And... That was one of the few I've actually been able to keep up with. But I listened. <laughs> Thank you. I that's okay. I know we make a lot of them and they're very long, so I understand. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but we had a great time. I, I was like, man, that made me think too. I was like, there were some good '90s westerns. Um, these are probably two of my favorites. Actually, is Tombstone and Quick and the Dead. So, um, yeah. that's a good time. Uh, I don't. I, I made a lot of notes. The only two notes I have left is I again Sharon Stone just being very important in this movie and how it got made because she's the producer. Tell she handpicked Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe to be in the movie. And I think mm-hmm. the the apparently she I think she paid Leonardo DiCaprio's salary. Yeah, because <laughs> so she paid his salary. And then Russell Crowe, I guess, was a fight a fight with the studio because they you know they're like, who is this guy? And she wanted him. So she, I mean, I, it sounds like she really. I appreciate how much she pushed for what she wanted. It's and amazing choices. Yeah, it, such a thing. Like I just I. <laughs> Sorry for coughing into the mic there. Um. Uh. You know, Patrick on F This Movie always talks about how certain actresses we did dirty. And when you read about Sharon Stone and what she did to make this movie happen, it's like, yeah, we really fucking did Sharon Stone dirty. Um, You know, I mean, she just. It's a miracle this movie exists and it exists because of her. There's just no no way around it. It exists because of her. And, uh, you know, that's 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 pretty incredible, uh, if you ask me. and again, uh, amazing bringing Russell Crowe over here. Like, like think about like as as Risky always says, it's a sliding doors thing. Think about Russell Crowe if he's not in this movie. Like, what what happens? What does his career look like? Is he stuck in Australia? Does he get to to make you know the brilliance that is virtuosity? Uh, does he uh, <laughs> go on to win Academy Awards? Like, what what happens? Uh, you know, now on the other hand, that would also mean that he wasn't in Thor Love and Thunder giving one of the worst performances I've ever seen in my life. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, uh, oh. you did bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know if, uh, you know, does he get LA confidential? If he's not yeah. in, you know, it's like, it is a good question. It's like, does this happen if this doesn't happen? And, um, he, I, I didn't say this earlier. We, if we've already talked about him that much, but I, he, he gives my, my favorite performance in the whole movie. Yeah. I think he, there's so much going on with him that's not even said. It's not there's a lot of nonverbal, like you get or and then just the he brings a lot to it, I think, at especially early on without even to say much. And then when he does kind of talk about some stuff, he's just great. And you're like, this guy's a fucking star. Where did he come from? You know, it's like yeah. it's about killing the priest. Again, the effect oh, yeah. of this movie, his speech about killing the priest tells you everything you need to know about his character. Like, like in what amounts to what is it maybe a 30 second monologue i mean mm-hmm. it, it's not very long it's not like this big but and i also love yeah again he has an arc it's a, it's kind of subtle but like i love when he's trying to kill a spotted horse and he's asking for another bullet 
And he's like, now, God damn it. You know, and it's like, oh, he's taking the Lord's like the old court is coming back mm-hmm. <laughs> because now he's taking the Lord's name in vain. He's killed again. Um, but that's I that's I think the movie handles that well, because you get the very end where Sharon Stone gives him her dad's badge and she says the laws come back to town. Uh, Quicken the dead copaganda, by the way, for all the Twitter folks. So, you know, just so you know, if you're 19 and are going to watch this movie, it's copaganda. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I love that ending for him. Of like, because you would think in a traditional movie, she might be the one to stay and become the sheriff. And she's like, nope, I'm done. I'm I've 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 lived my entire life with the goal of killing John Herod. And now I gotta go figure out what life is. But you need redemption and you can't be an adventure. So maybe be a be a lawman instead. It's a very, very nice ending, I think. Yeah, yeah. I love all that stuff. That's again more like it's like little things, but little over the top movie thing like he throws the badge and it lands perfectly to save Marshall. It's, you know like little stuff like that which i there's so much of this movie of like little ridiculous touches that i absolutely love um i was like man i don't know why i don't i said this before too i should say sam raimi's one of my guys because i like every i love everything i've really seen from him basically there's a couple things that don't work as quite as well but like the upper echelon raimi stuff for me is like some of my favorite stuff i was like why do i not go around he's my favorite directors it's i you know i he's so good and he's so unique there really is yeah hardly anybody close to him at all we mentioned james wan i can't think of anybody else so he's one of a kind really yeah i mean uh you know if you go outside the u.s Choi hawk is is the only other director that i can really think of that's very similar um in terms of you know that (laughs) stuff like that but but yeah, no, I mean, it, it is one of those things where it's like, I think a lot of it is because Raimi doesn't do, other than a simple plan, he doesn't really do the Oscar type movies that your Scorsese's and your Spielberg's and your people like that do, uh, I, which is no shade on them. I think I love all of them. I think they're all brilliant directors, but I think that's a thing that keeps Raimi down I, it, he, I he doesn't get brought up as the great directors i think because of the kind of movies that he makes um but to me that just that's like the same shit that happened to john carpenter right like oh, yeah this is the kind of movies that carpenter made he was never considered one of the masters and it's like we all know that's fucking stupid now like we all <laughs> That, that that's an idiotic position to take when it comes to John Carpenter. And I feel the same way about Sam Raimi. It's an idiotic position to take that he is not one of the greatest directors to ever play the game. Uh, I, I, I just, the films speak for themselves. They're there. Like the text is there. You can fucking watch the movies, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of genre work. I was like, man, he does, Raimi does a couple of my favorite horror movies couple of my favorite superhero movies uh now like i would say it's one of my favorite westerns of all time like because they have all this genre work i yeah it, it is disrespected not people like us we love this shit but you know like critically uh and yeah oscar type stuff it's like oh you know but who cares really it's like but it take they get less i think respect but you know it takes time with guys like Raimi and sam or john carpenter um to get their respect but luckily now they get their fair due, I would say. <laughs> so. yeah, I, I, I do think Raimi does, because there definitely was a lot of people that were very excited, you know, when he was coming on to Doctor Strange. And and regardless of what you think of that movie, there is definitely at least some Raimi ass shit in that movie. Like, yeah, there's only more than I thought going in. Like, I expected. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah. 
Go ahead. I, when I went into it, I thought they're going to beat the Raimi out of this thing, aren't they? I'm going to see. And then I, there was way more that got in of him than I expected. I, I don't, I don't percentage on it, but it was, I was shocked at the amount of Raimi stuff. And Oh, that's a Sam Raimi move. You know, it's like, that's him coming through, but um, yeah, so it was fun. I, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's definitely my well. I guess technically, No Way Home is my favorite of the Phase Four movies, but the Spider Man movies are always a little weird because they're part of Marvel, but also not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the proper Phase Four movies. It's still by far my favorite because it does. I mean, you get the scene where Scarlet Witch is coming out of all the mirrors and the wall. Any reflection she can come out of that's creepy as shit. The music note harp fight is unreal, and and oh. <laughs> like a Sam Raimi thing. And then zombie Dr. Strange with, oh, the, yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, you know, there's even, even the, the section in the middle that I think just bogs down when they go to the alternate dimension and you get fucking Krasinski and stuff that still has like black bolt blowing the back of his head out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't think that gets enough credit for how fucking crazy it is to be in an MCU PG-13 movie that I like that is fucking insane like that I could not believe what I was seeing that Marvel let him do in that scene um it's crazy and there's that scene I think like they're in a temple or something earlier in the movie and there's pure like out of quick in the dead like the camera moves where they're zooming the camera's flying around there's the black like actors on a black background type montage like it's a lot of him in that movie I just uh I kind of want to watch it now that we're talking about it. Yeah, you know what I really want to rewatch watching Quick of the Dead is like I gotta watch Army of Darkness again because it's been too yeah. long. I I feel like I've watched that one less than Evil Dead One and Two, but I still really enjoy it. But I was like, I gotta watch that movie again. Yeah, no, I I I I actually end up watching Evil Dead the least out of all of them. Um, but uh no, Army of Darkness is still it's still great. And again, it's still the same thing. It's still got all that great crazy camera work and and all that sort of stuff. Um you know, another one that you should revisit if you haven't revisited in a long time is Drag Me to Hell, because he is so you can just feel how happy he is to be unshackled from Sony <laughs> in that movie. Um, you know, and again, Nasty Streak has a nasty, nasty ending, but uh, just so much fun and so, so entertaining. Yeah, I had I I know I revisited it revisit that's a hard word to say uh <laughs> revisited it did it it oh not too long ago because i'd watched it like around when it first came out and did not like it i think because of the mean streak and the ending specifically because you know me hound for justice and i felt like i felt like that was such overblown to, to her that i just was like i could not get on board i was like that seems a bit much for what she did but now i'm just like I got over it and now I just take it. And I, I think, again, maybe I'm just enjoying a Sam Raimi movie more, uh, you know, we get less of his movies. So maybe I'm like, Oh, this is so him. Like, this is so, he's having so much fun. Like I definitely liked it way more when I rewatch it a year or two ago, whenever I rewatched it, it, I, it played way better for me. Yeah. I mean, you've got the bummer ending, but you've also got a demon demonically possessed talking goat. <laughs> So, like, I mean, it's hard to, and in fairness, if you rewatch it more, like, Alison Lohman's character, on first watch, it does feel like what happens to her is unfair. And then you watch it again, you're like, wait a minute, this bitch killed her own cat. Like, she slaughtered her own cat. Like, like, no, no, she is not a good, kind person who's just trapped up in something that she doesn't, doesn't deserve. Like, like, she's a pretty terrible human being. So, like, you know. Yeah, there was more of that in the second watch, too. And I was like, okay, maybe she's not as good. It's still, 
it still kind of well, felt like yeah because justin long's so likable in it and you're like well if justin long loves her she must be that nice because i mean justin long's a teddy bear right so mm -hmm. like must be. and then you watch it again and you're like oh no she kind of fucking sucks like good on you good on you romani lady for uh for cursing her yeah. Uh, I do. I just really enjoy another Sam Raimi horror movie. I'm like, this is a rare treat. I'll I'll take it. Um, and some gross shit again. A movie that that was P13, right? Yeah. Yeah. How the fuck did he get away with? <laughs> There's some crazy stuff in that movie. Um, yeah. he's he's great. Now I want I won't ask you to rank anything, but I am curious. What movies would you put ahead of Quick and the Dead as your favorite Sam Raimi movies? That might be easier than ranking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um. Uh. So. For sure, all three Evil Deads. Okay, yeah. Um, for sure, the first two Spider Mans. Um, a simple plan, and then I would probably put Quick in the Dead. Okay. I, I, I Quick in the Dead higher than Dark Man. Um, <clears throat> I definitely rank it higher than For Love of the Game. I rank it higher than The Gift. Which is uh, the one Raimi movie that I objectively think is very good, but doesn't really work for me. Um, I rank it higher than Drag Me to Hell. It's higher than Oz the Great and Powerful. It's higher than Doctor Strange. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I would. It's so. Does that make it? It's not quite top five, but you know, if you sort of count the Evil Dead movies as one and Spider Man one and two as one, it's then it would be in you know top five. So, I mean, how about yeah, you? It's he's got so many good movies. I feel bad even putting stuff lower because it's like it doesn't mean anything on its quality. I I think I would go. I'll, I have my ranking on Letterbox. I forgot I made this a long time ago, so I'll stick with this. Um, I had Spider Man Two as my number one. I had Evil Dead Two as my number two. Then the first Spider Man. Then Evil Dead. Then Quick and the Dead ahead of Army of Darkness. But that feels like a tie. I can't pick. Like I'm like I don't know. I love you both. Then Dark Man. Then Drag Me to Hell. Then Doctor Strange, then Spider-Man three. I but I need to rewatch Spider-Man three because I'm still hanging on to the disappointment of Spider-Man three when it came out. I don't think I've ever sat down and rewatched its entirety since the theater because I, whatever age I was at the time, was so bummed out by Spider-Man three that I just it's like... it's still a mess of a movie. It's still there's a lot that does not work in it. Uh, there is a lot that does work. Um, and I think had Raimi gotten to make the movie that he wanted to make, it would have been tremendous. But uh, it's it's neither, in my opinion, it's neither as bad as the haters say, nor is it as good as the revisionists uh, try and try and say. I think it's solidly middle of the road, Raimi. Uh, I think the stuff that works works really well. Um, but I think that there's a lot that just does not work in it. And so you can kind of acknowledge that and still enjoy the movie. I mean, even when I saw it in the theater, I didn't think it was awful. I, I thought I walked away from that one going, you know what? It's still a Spider-Man movie. You got to work pretty fucking hard for me to not like a Spider-Man movie. I even like the amazing Spider-Man too. Like you got to work real fucking hard for me to not like a Spider-Man movie. Oh, wow. Okay, you're very forgiving. I can I do not like that. Might be my least favorite Spider-Man movie. Is that? I, I mean, it's my least favorite too. Well, yeah, actually, you, my yeah. hot take is Homecoming is my least favorite. But Homecoming is objectively yeah. a better movie than Amazing Spider-Man too. But I love Andrew Garfield, so I still got joy out of Amazing Spider-Man too. And Toby's great in Spider-Man Three. You know, it's it is what it is. Um, yeah. So.
Once yeah. I learned about all the problems he had, or not, pro- the studio interference on Spider-Man three and Venom being forced onto him, right? And like that was all. If that if that's the story, then yeah, I felt I kind of gave him a bit more slack. It's it's like uh, it's almost like um a curse situation where I'm like, oh, I feel <laughs> I feel bad for this movie, but I you know I don't really enjoy it. But I I gotta watch it again. I know. I think a long time ago, Ken and I talked about doing like just the whole Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, which I want to do mostly to watch Spider-Man three again and give it another shake because I get was I just completely just like was nope. I don't want any part of this, even though I've heard many people that there's still good stuff in there. But I was so focused on the negative. I don't think I could focus on any of the positive. So, um, yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, there is some wildly uh, bad storytelling decisions in there. Um, I don't know if you remember the 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 magic butler uh, that uh, tells Harry Osborne, you know, his dad was the Green Goblin. And God, it's like, yeah, you've been in three of these movies. Where the fuck were you two movies ago, dude? Um, you know, like there's some wildly bad storytelling decisions in there. Um, but there's also some pathos and some emotion. And I'll fully admit there's a scene. Uh, it's after Peter's gotten rid of the symbiote. A symbiote and uh they've kidnapped mary jane yet again and he pulls out his old red and blues from under his bed and you get the spider-man theme in the background mm-hmm. as he holds it up and i mean it's, it's a chill scene man it gives me the chills so like as long as it's got that it's you know it's 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 good it's good enough for me <laughs> um all right great i mean yeah it's I, there, I'm going to rewatch it someday at some point. So he, Sam Raimi's great. Quick and the Dead is great. Uh, I think we made that case. So anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, no, no, not really. Other than also Ash versus Evil Dead. If you haven't watched it, fucking rules. And he directed Shit. it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm bad at watching shows, but I need to watch that one. <laughs> there, there is a scene. There is a scene, Matt, where Ash uh, is fighting a, a reanimated corpse and the reanimated corpse sticks Ash's head up its ass. And Campbell goes, oh, not the butt, not the butt, oh, the butt. That's the that should have been in Project Wolf Hunting, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's 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 amazing, Ash versus Evil Dead. Okay, that's the best sell I've heard of that so far. <laughs> like, yeah, um... Not the butt lives rent-free in my head, dude. It just rent-free. <laughs> Oh, and I think that show seems doable because it had what three, four seasons and of ten episodes, ten thirty minute episodes a piece. You can literally okay. out a season in like three hours. Okay, all right, that that helps too. Uh, so, um, okay, well, I I guess that's it for this one. I this was so much fun talking yeah. to you about this movie. Thank you so much for for asking me. As soon as you you reached out to me on this, I'm like fuck yeah um so yeah i i I appreciate you asking me to come on and and talk about this one because again i i just can never stop talking about sam raimi so (laughs) um yeah he's uh, he's pretty great you should do an unscottable with sam raimi i don't have a good name for you but you need to do like your own uh just go through all the movies or just come to all the people's podcasts and i'll let you come back on and talk about any movie I, I tried to, to do that, you know, one filmmaker movie thing, and it uh, I, you will notice that Adkins Undisputed is still unfinished. Um, so, uh, you know, I'll just jump on other people's podcasts and talk about Sam Raimi. Okay. Instead. So. You're welcome back anytime. Talk about Sam Raimi. So it's it's hard to go through somebody's things straight through. It feels like a grind at a certain point. You got to pick somebody with a short filmography. 
<laughs> or, you know, um, so I get it. But um, well, anyway, yes, thank you for doing this. I'll let you plug all your stuff. People can find you, the, the podcast, all that stuff. Sure. You can find Action for Anywhere, Action for Everyone, anywhere podcasts can be found. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at A4E Podcast. You can go to Linktree slash A4E Podcast to see all of our other links. We're on Mastodon and Hive and all that shit, and I never post on any of it because I'm a terrible social media manager. Um, but uh, I also do this for free. So, you know, uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hibachi Justice, although I don't post nearly as much as I used to because uh, Twitter kind of bores me now. Um, so uh, I just don't feel like engaging anymore. Um, but uh, I posted about the quick and the dead today. So, you know, that's uh, that's I post about the shit that matters. <laughs> I appreciate it. I wonder how you put together that I had just posted about podcast repairs. And then you post about podcast first, quick the dead. Uh, yeah, this is what it was all leading to. People, if you put it together, people probably figured it out. I, I think somebody probably figured. It out. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, Twitter kind of sucks now. So I agree with you on that. But um, I don't, I don't have a Mastodon or Hive account ready. I don't know what's going to happen if shit goes down. But you know, I'll figure something out. But uh, I'll plug our Twitter stuff while it's still. While it's still active, um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Maplet87. I also probably don't post that much either on Twitter, but I, you know, it's <laughs> I don't have much to say on Twitter, so you know, I'm an easy follow. And uh, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast, all one word. Um, and that's it for this time, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>